Welcome back to the BMX in our blood. Happy New Year. I pulled aside short bits of interviews from four people that I admire very much and love the podcast interview with them. And I think you'd like it too. So we start off with Danny Bailey, then we move on to Garrett Burns, and then Groundchuck and Robbie Morales. So I think it's a pretty good combination and I pulled out some of the some of the quotes and conversation that I think you will you will all remember if you've heard the episode already and if you haven't then you get a uh, a quick peek at it. If you decide you want to hear the rest of the episode, you could easily hear them through iTunes if you want to search back in the archives or you could do it through the bmxinourblood.com so anyway just wanted to mention one other person that i keep meaning to a supporter of the podcast and also someone that's doing a lot for his scene and that is mike drake on long island he's got a pump track in the backyard for him and the kids and he's been having weekly sessions there time to lapse and just all sorts of fun. So uh, thank you, Mike, for the support of the show. And as importantly, thanks for creating a scene for a lot of kids in Long Island. Also, I want to thank you all for the support over this past year and for the podcast for as long as it's been on. And I really appreciate the, the comments and motivation that you're all giving me to help me continue this and also thank you powers bike shop for helping with some of the expense of the project and i really appreciate it so give chad powers a shout if you are in the need of of anything bmx related it's a total bmx shop in richmond virginia he does a lot of mail order so you can always catch them at powersbikeshop.com So thank you, Chad. I will talk to you or see you all soon. I certainly see you if you're heading to the Old Fool's Jam the weekend of the 11th at Ray's in Cleveland. It should be a great time. Looking forward to that. Uh, Building up my arm strength so I can run the, the crutches all over the place that day. So I'll see you soon, and have a very, very happy New Year's. But uh, anyway, so welcome back to the BMX in Our Blood, and I'm super psyched about this one. I'm psyched about all of them, but this one is, everyone has a special meaning to me, and this episode nine is with, I want to call him DB4, but not everyone knows DB4, so this is Danny Bailey, and... Uh, sitting in with us is uh, John Scavarla uh, because we are sitting at Kiko Trails. So first thing I wanted to say is is this interview's a little a little uh, close to me and and um, I feel you know this is really like interviewing a, a true friend because Danny is. Uh, complete inspiration and just such a positive guy and has been just 
the most enthusiastic guy that I talk to and will send the most uplifting messages at just the right time and has been that way forever and uh, including the time he called and pretended to be Gary Ellis when he called my house <laughs> and I wasn't home. But uh, welcome, Danny, and I'm, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Joe. It's an honor to uh, be involved with your podcast. I can't believe I, I, I got the call from you asking for me to do this, but I'm, I'm honored, and it's great to have Soups here. Longtime friend. Nice. Yeah, that actually really completes it. I, you know, I know we just did a soups podcast, but you can't get enough soups. Oh, absolutely you know? not. For though we, we'll probably touch on it more as this goes on. But soups and I go back to elementary school. I mean, it's I think it's rare sometimes you have a friendship that lasts so long, but it goes way back. I can't remember what year, but I just remember from day one of riding bikes, it was always with soups, always. Was it A70B? Probably it. I think you had a, a, a Skyway... Street Styler. Yeah, it was, oh. it was a Skyway Street Styler. Yeah. I, I had the Dino Detour. Yeah. Oh, so you, I had the Skyway. Soups had the Dino. Justin DiPietro had the uh, Mike Dominguez um, Diamondback. Yep. And Brian Collins, I think, had a, uh, a Mongoose. I can't remember what type, but he had a Mongoose of some sort. My father was a big smoker. Marlboro Lights in the Box. That's all he smoked. And we had a local convenience store, stationery store called Levine's. And like most kids, boys, all I wanted to do was be around my dad. So I would usually go with him up to the convenience store when he would get cigarettes. And there was all, they, they had a big magazine selection and they always had BMX Plus and I was always drawn to BMX Plus and every so often my dad would allow me to get the magazine and I would read it cover to cover, cover to cover multiple times and that's what kind of sparked the interest. Then it's amazing how vivid the memory is. Remember it was my grandmother's birthday and the family was going out to eat and we were going down Seacliff, no, excuse me, Glen Cove Avenue, and I saw a guy on a red cruiser pulling a wheelie, just going down the road, and I, I was in awe. And my dad said, I know his father. We fished together. And it was Rob Morales. And so we, a few days later, just by happenstance, we had to go to Belmore Floors, the... Uh, carpet place that Rob's parents owned and we walked in and there was just BMX trophies everywhere and that's what kind of sparked the interest with riding and having a hero I mean when you're young like that you kind of look up to people and you idolize people and Rob was definitely that person for me and then I don't know how it is now with kids, but when I was growing up, I was forced to go to church. I was forced to go. And I can't speak for Soups, but I think Soups was kind of the same way. Yeah, definitely. And Soups and I, I think, kind of met at church. And we had mutual friends, like a guy by the name of Mike Dubin, uh, Brian Collins, and we kind of just started from there. But other than Rob, nobody took it more serious than Soups and myself. Nobody. Huh, and so that's kind of what what got the the interest and just the 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 passion for the sport going. 
But then from that, as I got older, I no longer looked up to him. I no longer idolized him, which I think is a good thing because it grew into a, a legit friendship. I no longer looked up to him or any in any sense of the matter. He you was just, equals. Exactly. Yeah. And he was just yeah. a friend of mine. I mean, Soup's and I were great friends with his parents. And it was just great like that. And with that, that's when we would start to travel. I mean, I read, I rode your backyard, you, Jeff Allen, Greg Plaskett, the Olympian Todd Wells. I think yes. you put a picture up on the internet of all of us driving there. I mean, and that did expand it past Rob because I traveled the country multiple times with Nuno Oliveira, Bill Dees, Bill Ferrante, and those we would travel and we would stay at people's houses who we never even met never even met but it was just from the mutual bond of riding BMX 9-11 happened and I received phone calls from Japan guys like Otaki Makoto saying oh we heard what happened in New York we're so sorry I mean and that's from BMX it's crazy that I can say that for the most part, myself, you, Joe, Soups, everybody we know, we can travel anywhere in the world and basically have a couch to stay on. And that's from BMX. If it wasn't for BMX, everybody I know would probably be people who I went to school with. And that would, for the most part, would probably be the end of it. And Due to BMX, due to traveling, doing uh, things with Rob, you, Jeff, Soups, it's endless of who you know, what you know, and I think that's what's so great about BMX to this day. That was pre, that was pre flip phone. Oh yeah, which was <laughs> only two years ago, probably for you. But <laughs> but a quick side note too, yeah. and I'm included in this. I feel that when you ride BMX, it's like skateboarding. It, it's not really a sport. It's more like a lifestyle. So in some ways, whether you realize it at the time or not, you make a lot of sacrifices to do it. So there's not too many people that have college educations and things of that nature. But everybody that rides BMX is street smart. You can go anyway. Paul, anywhere. Paulie right now, Paulie's going to Africa. I mean, you can go anywhere. You have those street smarts. You know how to take care of yourself, whether you're with a group, whether you're by yourself, and that's what's great. A lot of people get nervous in situations like that, but due to BMX, I, I went to Africa by myself as well for three weeks, and I just felt comfortable, and I owe that, I believe, to BMX and being able to get comfortable in elements that I might not normally be comfortable in. I know I raced longer than Soups and a lot of the guys. I know my last year of racing, Brian Iorochi and myself went to a, bun- uh, to a bunch of races Excuse me, together. And that was by far the best year I ever, I ever had racing. I basically made every main 2000, 2001 something uh, and I'm somebody in life and it's a mistake of mine but I hate change I hate change and when I think of BMX I think of dirt berms and flat pedals and I understand that you want to make things easier on the parents, people like Rich Soper who have to manicure the tracks and I respect that so I know the reason for the black top berms but still as my great friend Drew Jenkins has always said, anybody 
can ride a blacktop berm. It takes somebody special to really ride a dirt berm. And BMX lost the dirt berms, they lost the flat pedals, they lost having the dirt contests at the racing. And with that, I think it they lost a lot of identity. And that's when everybody slowly crept away from the sport, me included, because I, I, it just became something I wasn't very, in, very much into. And the dirt jumping always, always, I had an affection for. So it was just a natural progression to leave the racing side and go into the dirt side. When I stopped, I don't want to jump ahead, but when I stopped riding, BMX. I was nervous on to tell Jay and Drew because we came wow. became such great friends. And I remember I called the both of them separately, and they both said the same exact thing. They said, "We can't believe it took you this long to to quit. We kind of thought you were done three or four years ago <laughs> because of the road biking." And my response to the both of them was, "It was." the two of you that kept me going because of the camaraderie. I had so much fun and had such great times hanging out on Jay's couch that I didn't I, as much as I wanted to stop riding, I didn't want to stop being with those guys every weekend. And so I, I kept on till I couldn't go anymore. The, the road biking just grabbed a hold of me. I, I just had to do that full time. Yeah. Since 09, I have not touched my BMX bike except once. I was at my parents and I decided to ride to 7-Eleven and who I run into on the street <laughs> is Soups. I basically had two flat tires. I was so stoked. I'm like, he's back! <laughs> he's back! We got him! You know, I'm going to jump ahead and ask a question right now because we have a social media question and, and it's from uh, Brian Barnhart. He, and he actually said when's the comeback? Mr. B. <laughs> and, but the big thing for me that I've had to accept, that I've had to learn and accept, is that people are happy that, that I'm just here. And this isn't just me. This goes for you. Yep. This goes for Soups. You could put down your bike tomorrow in Soups, and people are just happy that you're showing up at the trails, and you're just still part of the scene we've all talked about this we don't have anything to prove oh, and yeah you know we did this for ourselves and nobody else but the friendships are forever so regardless of whether you pick up a bike and ride again you're still part of this friendship circle and i i think that's huge and i think we're all grateful for that oh yeah thank you and it's mutual i mean all these guys i mean i could talk for days about everybody i met whether it be once or people i became lifelong times I I used to be the senior MEO at my job, and that is I'm in charge of all the heavy equipment. I had to be at work at 5 o'clock. So I would wake up every morning at 2 because I don't like being rushed. So I'd wake up at 2. I would um, brush my teeth, eat a little something. I'd be out the door by 3.30, and I'd, I'd ride my bike uh, 26 miles to work. At 3.30, I'd get to work, I'd do my job, I'd run the boxes or drive the payloader, and I'd get off at 1.30, and now I would ride home a 46-mile route, 
and then I'd be home for about an hour, and then I'd go out with my road bike group, the Triangle Cyclist, and do another 50 miles. So that was on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So, and I just found that that was me. From BMX to, to road bike racing, you can kind of see this happening because let's talk about the Don at Posh. The oh, me- Megadon, oh yeah, oh which yeah, was, uh, was which uh, was a side section off of Jay's quality section. Yeah, quality was long and hard and technical to begin with, and then Jay built the section that branched off of that, went up the hill, did like a half or a figure eight, and then went right back to where it started. And you linked back into it, and it was what a 45, 50 second lap. Yeah, a BF timed it one time, and I think it was like 50 seconds. Yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna say, I hit it once or twice in my life, and coming from a racing background, I was like, that's crazy, this is hard. And then DB's like, oh, I'm gonna hit it 100 times. And that was one lap, you were tired. Yes, yes. And this guy goes, is <laughs> like, oh, one's not good enough. I'm gonna do it 100 times in a day. Wow. Right, and how many times yeah. did you do that? Did you do that? I, did, I did the hundred uh, <laughs> two times. That's crazy. Well, it, was bo- it was both in the same year. Oh, what? Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was it's the same both- year, but it yeah. was like July and September or something, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know what? Let's jump ahead because Rob Delucky asked a question about that, and um, how many? Well, we'll get right into it. How many one hundred lap days did you complete on the Megalodon? So we kind of know the answer to that one, right? Well, I'll let me branch off a little bit with the sure. Don. In my riding career, I had two heroes. One, as everybody knows, is Gary Ellis. And the second, it may sound weird, it may not, but is Tim Strelecki. And I only say it may sound weird because Timmy and I are the same age. But he would go to the trails and just do lap after lap and nobody ever frowned upon it but people would be like you know it's weird like we're at the trails and he's just doing laps <laughs> but i was the opposite i was like that's awesome like that is awesome so fast forward to posh as i said jay drew and myself were kind of inseparable I remember getting a phone call from Jay, and Jay's like, when I hang up with you, I'm calling Drew. I'm making a new section. This was the dead of winter. It was the dead of winter, but it was, I'm going to make this um, this uh, this section called the Don, the Megalodon, which is a prehistoric fish. That's what shark, a Megalodon right? is. that what? A yeah, shark. A shark. <laughs> so he goes, it's going to go off quality. So... I'm okay, so when it comes around, myself, Drew, and Jay worked on it. And then we got so into it, Drew and I, Jay was like, I'm washing my hands of this section. It's totally <laughs> your guy's section. Yeah. And, um, and then we would just do, Drew made it through way before me. It took forever for me to get through because it was so soft. When we first built, we finished it and we, we wanted to ride so bad, so bad. And I was getting pissed because he made it through like the second or third time. It took me like a half a day. It was so soft. But then guys would come to the trails and they weren't really that into it. But they were into it, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. because it was such a challenge for them. And when it came to trails, I was never competitive with anybody, only myself. But getting the thought in my head 
for the 100 laps was, one, my endurance, but also, I we always hear people say, like, that's so hard, that's so hard, so hard. I remember I said to Drew one day, I'm like, I'm going to do 100 laps. <laughs> but the thing that's amazing, Drew is my best friend. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I can always rely on him to always be honest with me. And when I said the 100 laps, I think I was almost leaning on him for his thought like because I knew he would be like a true friend a true friend is going to be honest with you and if he would be like you know that might be dumb whatever when he's I didn't even finish mentioning the hungry on the dime he's like you got it there's no two ways about so I'm like okay I can do this then and we went down there one day with me in mind of doing the hundred laps and the day started out it was like eight o'clock in the morning and it was myself Drew and Chicken Wrap and and that was the first time I did the 100. And the funny thing was, I actually got a flat tire halfway through. How pissed were you? I, I, <laughs> I was catatonic. <laughs> and and Drew and Chicken Wrap took my bike. It was like being at a, a Supercross event. where They took my bike and they were my personal mechanics. They fixed my bike for me and had me. They're like, you just sit in the corner, just... Keep warm. Yeah, keep, keep warm. warm. <laughs> keep your thoughts. Like, don't go crazy. We'll have your bike fixed for you. And that, that is what kind of set off in my mind the hundred on the, the dawn. But it started, like I said, basically with Tim Strelecki. I was always kind of in tune with what he was doing. I wasn't a big, he did a lot more tricks than I did, but I was never a big trick guy. I just loved the aspect of riding trails with your friends, just doing laps. And Timmy was big into the laps, and I always kind of just latched a hold of that. And then when we got a section like Megalodon, that was just perfect for me. I mean, I would. Be, it would be a Wednesday, and I'd be I can't wait for Saturday. I can't wait for Saturday to do the Don. And then, like I said, it became addicting for other people. I mean, uh, anybody you can think of would hit the Don. It's a hundred laps. <laughs> you know, it's that's a that's a long day. And how many hours did it take you, approximately? Well, I think it took like about six hours, six and a half hours. You know, I'd be remiss to say also, because my mom would be disappointed if I didn't say this, I think another reason I suffer from major OCD. Like, I'm one of those people, I'll close the door ten times. I mean, major OCD. And the OCD goes into my biking as well. And it's one of those things, I, I think on a smaller level, like, Joe... Why not do a hundred? Like, <laughs> yeah. why not? If right. I'm able to do one, why not do a hundred? I mean, I, I, so, I'm with you. I'm uh, with you. Go ahead. I, I was when I was starting to ask my question. I I remembered, you know, the endurance thing and megalodon, and so I kind of asked a question before my question, and that's where we're talking about megalodon. But when it transferred into into road bike racing, um, I think at one point did you post something that in five years you rode a hundred thousand miles was that was that the right number yeah yes all right yep uh with all i i mentioned my bike ride to and from work so that's about 70 or 71 miles a day then every tuesday and thursday i tack on an additional 
50 miles each one of those days to ride with my road bike group. And then Saturday and Sunday, I usually do about 100 miles each day. So that there is a five-year span, like Supes had mentioned, where I did 20,000 miles a year. So I had 100,000 um, in five my, years, yeah, five and, and, years. Our, and that was the the, fi- the first five years that you actually calculated. Yeah, so, that, so yeah. So yeah. what do you estimate before that? At least another hundred thousand before that, right? I, I would probably I, every year just in cycling, not including BMX. Oh yeah, but then if you count Megadon, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, get a couple hundred there. Yeah. So if you had if you had to estimate at you know your lifetime miles, it's obviously it's it's a, at least a hundred thousand. Yeah, I, 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 I'd say, I mean, I, I would say for certainly, certain, it was at, at least 170,000. Wow. Definitely. But, but I did do, I think I did it smart in that the most direct route. I think, I think it's more than that. Uh, it might I mean, if you did, <laughs> did 100,000 in five years, and it's been a while since you posted that, and you're still doing it, I think you're, I think you're underestimating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I think it's I think it's at least two fifty. Yeah, and the moon is two hundred forty thousand. So I I think you would easily say that that you've ridden your bicycle to the moon. Thank you. <laughs> That's a great analogy. And I've had a blast <laughs> doing it. It's been unbel. I feel like a little kid. I just think it's great, and so many people recognize it, and and we're all in awe of it. The only downfall I can see is you're at zero percent body fat and you're shivering like like a, <laughs> like a son of a gun right now. So we'll uh, we'll keep moving. And quick sidebar: the thing that's interesting that I think it crosses all bounds is you have guys who are superstars: Corey Nastasio, Chris Doyle, nicest guy in life, nicest guy in life, Chris Doyle. Van Homan. These guys are superstars. I'm sure if they went to the Grands, which are going on this week, kids would be running up to them because they're just they're royalty in BMX. And the type of riding I did wasn't really conducive with what they did. They do it all the all the tricks, but they would be in awe when they would come to the to Posh and we would do Don. I mean, I remember Nastasio being like, holy shit, man, what the, you're still riding? And it's like, wait a minute, like, this guy's a superstar, but yet <laughs> it crosses bounds. He's willing to not have a closed mind and like, hey, this guy is just like doing whips and that's it. He's recognizing, like, hey, this guy's doing whips, but he's doing lap upon lap. The same thing with Doyle. Doyle would come to the trails and be like, hey, Jay, uh, you mind if I do like a couple like tail whips or three sixties? Are you kidding me? Like, why don't I mess the jumps up? It's like, well, you're, are you are you kidding me? There, there, there's no plausible way you're going to mess a jump up. There's no Chris Doyle. You're not going to mess a jump up. But those are the type of people because he would also recognize like, hey, these guys are doing laps. It wasn't like, oh, those guys aren't doing tricks. Yeah, whatever. Like, they would recognize it. And that would always make you feel awesome that these guys are going all over the world and they're getting paid to and that they're still willing to recognize a local guy riding the trails, really doing no tricks other than maybe tabletops and X-ups, but he's putting in the time to just do laps and enjoy enjoy what's in front of him, the amazing right. scenery, the amazing friendships, and most of all, the jumps. Hey, idols go both ways, you know? you're an idol too so it's yeah it does definitely cross bounds but like 
Oliveira wants to know if uh, his question is, you had a signed Gary Ellis GT jersey. How did you obtain that? Well, it's a signed Gary Ellis jersey that is also framed. It's hanging in the bike room at my place. Was it also from his, his retiring year? Yes. It, on his way out? Great story, and it involves Connecticut. There's a Connecticut guy who I'm friends with to this day on on uh, Facebook and Instagram, but uh, Tom Johnson. I don't know if Tom Johnson was as big a fan of Gary Ellis as I was, and that doesn't even matter, right. but he wanted Gary Ellis' jersey. And we were at South Park one year, uh, Gary Ellis' retirement year, and I had all of Long Island on my side because Gary Ellis, after all the mains on Sunday, he would go to the top of the starting hill and people would gather and he would throw the jersey out. So he threw it, and I think Tom Johnson caught it. And then Tom Johnson felt the wrath of, of all of Long Island. All of Long Island. <laughs> I mean, the, it was bad. It was bad. So I didn't get that jersey. But then... Oh, but the, the wrath didn't make him pass it no, over? No, no, he kept it. But it gets even better in my favor because Gary Ellis' final BMX race as an NBL double a pro was at the grands where he won all three mains after he won all three mains it was the grand so i think people weren't as focused on ellis as i was because everybody was more focused on going going to get their plates right. so i went up to uh, and i was nervous like he, he's a superstar of me right. today i would right. be nervous i walked up to him and i said like hey gary you think i can i uh, I can get your jersey, and uh, I'll never forget this. He kind of looks around, and he goes, I really can't give it to you because I have to throw it off at the starting hill. And he looked around, and there wasn't a single kid, and he <laughs> took his two fingers, pointed in my chest, and he goes, you want to know something? I'm giving you the jersey. I have some photo commitments to do, but you have my word. You have my jersey. You have my word. So I... I, I I literally started tearing up. I, I couldn't believe it. He did his photo commitments, and like a man, he came to me. And thankfully to Lee Kirsch, another guy that goes way back on the Long Island BMX scene, thanks to him, I got the autograph. Because Gary gave me the jersey, and I was in such awe, and I was so happy. I took it. I thanked him probably a hundred times, and I turned and walked away. And, and Lee goes... DB, why don't you get him to sign it? So, so like, but the amazing thing is, the man that Gary Ellis was, he, before I could turn around, Gary walked up to me, he put his hand on my shoulder, kind of spun me around. He goes, would you like me to sign it? I, I said, yes. He goes, stay right here, don't move. I'm going to go get a marker. When I got a marker, walked back to me and signed it. All right, well, this brings up a good question from Shu, Brian Shoemaker. Who would win a fight between Ricky Carmichael and Lance Armstrong? <laughs> oh, that's it. Well, Ricky, just like most motocross guys, Carmichael is basically a midget. <laughs> so he's not going to have the reach. Lance Armstrong would definitely have the reach. And I guess also like a lot of retired athletes, Carmichael has gained quite a bit of weight, which Armstrong hasn't, so I'd say Armstrong. And plus, Armstrong, I, I really think would uh, 
slit his mother's throat to win. So <laughs> he I, doesn't I, like to lose. Exactly. So I, I say Lance Armstrong. Absolutely. Probably, probably, probably a good choice. But how many hours a day did you practice breakdancing in your basement as a kid? <laughs> I love these kind of questions. Oh, man. Break well, it wasn't in my basement. It was in my garage. But uh, I, I guess I'd spend maybe like an hour, an hour and a half every day. Nice. All right, and, this, and, this and with is... breakdancing, I will never reveal, but I do. I do know Jeff Allen. The redheaded stepchild. Oh, I the do. Nickname. I do know his breakdance name, but I will not tell. Oh, but I, but I do know it. A story about you, Joe. I remember going to your house, and like I said, I remember guys like Todd Wells being there. I remember the Fosters being there. I remember all sorts of guys being there. And one of the big reasons Rob and I, because I always. Rob and I would always go together. One of the big reasons we went there, like, we're like, we can't wait to ride the trails, but yeah, who cares about the trails? Joe's magazine collection. <laughs> that is why we wanted to go. And I remember there was a few times you had the gorgeous house and you had the basement. You had the lazy boy, you had like two lazy boy chairs. And when we went, it was around this time of year where it was, we always went like around this time of year where it was kind of chilly and the temperature drops at night. And you have this gorgeous house upstairs and Rob and I would sleep downstairs where it was freezing but the only reason why we would just be going through the magazines <laughs> all night long just looking at these magazines and it was amazing and it, it broke my heart when I found out you got oh, rid of them let's not talk about it this haunts me to, to this day oh my gosh that's what happens when you when you uh, you're the best DB and the most positive guy I know and and just and appreciate I, every time we touch base. And on top of saying thank you, because I thank you so much, I I, I truly am touched. I, I never thought I would get an opportunity like this, and words can, uh, can't describe how good I feel about this. I, I truly feel honored. I mean, I really do. And I thank you for that. And it, it means a lot to me, too, because, I mean, you and I talked before this, before we started this podcast and one thing it sounds weird I enjoy getting older I don't want to wake up tomorrow and be 80 but I enjoy getting older because I know how immature I was growing up I know that I know how far I've come and with that maturity I've realized everybody has problems and there's not a single person walking this earth that doesn't have a problem whether it be mental problems there's people coming back from war missing limbs there's people overweight and there's things that everybody has in their back of their mind that they know they're not perfect and for me it's my speech uh, i've always had a speech impediment and it's something i've always I, I i always know i have that speech impediment and it, it has bothered me in the past but with maturity i've come to think nobody's perfect and the only reason I bring this up is because, I mean, it means a lot to me that with my speech impediment, you're still willing and able to do this for me. And that, that really means a lot. That It reminds me of back in the day with Vinnie Griffin, the ghost. I remember Vinnie Griffin used to get in my face telling me I should be on radio because I have such a unique voice. But, I mean, <laughs> awesome. but from my heart, I, I thank you because I would never think that with my speech impediment anybody would want 
to hear me over you know no i don't notice it at all because it's the personality and that that far outweighs any if you want to call it an imperfection but uh your personality is so much larger than than these things you talk about because those things do not define you and i can tell you that me in my life i don't let you know, challenges in me physically define my life. Yeah. You know, it's you can't live like that. And as you said, as you get older, you get more mature and oh, you yeah, accept absolutely. those things and you say, yeah. you know what? Everybody's got something. Exactly, so, um, yeah. But you... Uh, and you can't let it define you, like you said. Absolutely yeah. not. Absolutely not. And you're going to find when you listen to this and when everyone else does that uh, you're going to be so happy you did it. And I know hundreds of people, if not a thousand, will be so happy that you did it so thank you so much thank you thank you to you and awesome. soups this is awesome and it's great just not not i don't want to keep carrying on but it's great that i may not ride anymore but i still stay in tune with everything going on and it's great that this is taking place right now at the trails yeah a awesome. place that held i hold so close to my heart whether i do it I still do it or not. It, it's a place that is very close to my heart, trails in general. And to be able to do this with the two of you who I have so much history with at the trails is just icing on the cake. Oh, I appreciate that. And I completely agree. Everything that I do with this podcast is is really um, meant to be face-to-face and personal and on locations, at locations like this because this is what brought us all together and you know i think it's so important to do it that way and nothing against people that do it you know over the phone but uh i would rather you know take the trip hustle and have this face-to-face contact in this interaction because it's it's priceless you know it's uh it's great so thank you again for doing it it's been great and thank you soups for for giving us the trails and just just giving so much of yourself and uh and, you know, yeah, DB deserves it, you know. Yeah, Everyone, you know, no, thank people you. Need to hear the DB story. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, and they will, they're gonna hear the DB story. But DB thank is DB's iconic, man. And and you, uh, you thank me, but I, I'm thanking you. So, uh, anyway. <laughs> I, I can only say thank you. I mean, I really appreciate it. Well, let's get the picture with our, our matching yeah. base Brooklyn shirts because this is amazing that we chose to wear the same shirt today. amazing bike riders and i just got my garrets mixed up so anyway we did not meet in yeah in, in uh now this Manhattan. is the first first time <laughs> and uh i've been mistaken for garrett reynolds a few times and uh, i'm definitely flattered by that uh-huh. but uh it's funny because i met my girlfriend like five years ago uh-huh. at a coffee shop our kids had met and it brought us together and we had met she realized i was a single dad and she was a single mom and we were like, oh, let's have a play date. And we got together and um, I said, yeah, you know, I used to, to ride bikes professionally. And she looked me up on the Internet just to make sure I wasn't like some like date rapist or something <laughs> like right. going out on a date with her. Right. And um, pretty much Garrett Reynolds, all his information came up when she Googled Garrett BMX. <laughs> And she was like, holy shit, this guy's a lot younger than what I thought he was. And then she's like, holy shit, this guy's really good. He's like, wow, I might have hit the jackpot here. She didn't hit the jackpot. She got the, the, 
the low-fat version of Garrett. And, uh, yeah, she got the Explorer that doesn't make any money, that doesn't really do anything with his with his life besides exactly what he wants. And Garrett Reynolds is on the opposite end of the spectrum, the right. best bike rider that, you know, BMX has probably ever put out in, uh, in history. And, you know, he's, uh, yeah, his, his career flourished. I didn't know where a track was. I didn't know anybody who raced. I'd see a kid with a number plate, and I'd be like, number plates are so sick. Like, you'd see the pad, the pad set and the number plate on a bike, and you just knew, like, it was fun. And I just wanted to get to that so bad. And one of my mom's friends, her son raced, and they, she pretty much asked, asked the guy, "Hey, do you think you could take my son to a race with you? He really likes BMX." Mm -hmm. And the guy, I think he was only eighteen, nineteen. His name was Tom Jones. He's actually a chiropractor now in town. Pretty, pretty reputable chiropractor and uh, sports therapist. Mm -hmm. And back then, he said, "You know what? Yeah." I have an extra bike. He can come with me, no problem. So we got in his Ford pickup truck, or uh, no, a Toyota pickup truck. I'll never forget it because he threw his bikes in the back, and we drove down to Egg Harbor, and I think I was 12, so it was like 92, 93, right right in there. And um, I never really, I'd been with my sister and a few, few of her friends, but he was like 18, 19 years old. He was like a badass guy yeah. at 18, and he had this Toyota pickup that was just like, beat up 80s Toyota pickup which was like the sickest truck I love that truck yeah and um we did like 80 miles an hour down the whole you know the the truck was pretty much shaking the whole time it felt like parts were falling off and the toll booths were coming up and I was like oh man like I was like how like this is this is really cool like I'm out like kind of getting older here hanging out with the older guy here had like this long hair was all pulled back I was like this is sick we're coming up to a toll booth, and I'm like, man, he's not slowing down. And I'm like, holy shit, we're doing like 80 miles an hour. And he goes, when you get when you get older, you realize like you get to do fun stuff like this. And we went through a toll booth at like 80 miles an hour. And I was like, it wasn't 80, it was probably 60. But still, I was like, holy shit. I was like, fuck, yeah. Wow. So like from, from the early age, I was just kind of like, all right, here's how it goes. Like when you want to do something, you just go for it. Like... If you don't want to pay the toll, right. you don't just go through it and just wave. You go through it at 60. If you're not going to pay the toll, you make it worth it. Like, And I just started laughing. Like I was like, this is like, looking back on it, I, I was just like, holy shit. Like half scared, right. but half like, okay, right. I kind of get this. This yeah. is like a, I get this. This is this is cool. So we went to the racetrack and like everybody wanted the same thing. Everybody wanted to just have fun and jump. And we built our trails and I don't know. I, I think about those times and I love right now because I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. At 38, I feel the same as when I was 15 because I ride for myself and I ride for exactly the reasons that I want to ride. And if I don't want to ride one day, I don't ride. Right. But usually that makes me want to ride twice as much the next day, mm-hmm. the day after the day I don't want to ride. Well, so I just, I know that. Right. And right. it just, it's so cool just going back and forth, memory lane, you get to those those places and you're like, holy shit, when I was 15, I knew everything. Like, it was so pure. Like, it was like the most basic thing. You just wanted to have fun and ride your bike and enjoy life. Um, Sounds like fear almost motivated you. 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's kind of cliche, but I almost didn't care what mm -hmm. happened to me from a young age. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of fucked up now that I'm getting older because I have, I deal with, like, I definitely deal with some demons in that area because I don't care about a lot of things, especially when... I don't know. It's hard to put myself in a category of saying, like, I'm just this person that feels this way. But I think everybody feels a different way. But bike riders as a whole, especially coming up with somebody like Van or riding with, you know, Dave Mira, Matt Hoffman, Taj, all these guys coming up and riding contests and realize that you put so much on the line that you don't think about anything else. You don't think about dying. You don't think about a broken arm, a broken leg, concussions, a helmet. You don't think about any of that stuff, especially when you're younger. And you realize that it's not everybody that reacts that way. And as you get older, you have to figure out ways to deal with, with those, those demons because they definitely pop up in a day-to-day -day where if you're not pushing yourself to see what's possible you more or less drive yourself to the the place where you're like you know what I don't I don't care I don't care and that's a that's a really tough place because I have to deal with um, different mental struggles where you know I was in some dark places over the last 10 years where I was in a failed marriage mm -hmm. um, having a son that means more than anything to me pulled a lot of that darkness out of me um, but I, I understand that it, you can be the, the places that BMX takes you on the highs, there's definitely an equal low on the other side. And it's, there's, there's tough, there's tough places. I mean, I, <laughs> it's, I, I kind of knew going into this, like doing a podcast, like mm -hmm. there would be, my, my life has highs and lows. And I knew that I couldn't hit the highs without the lows. Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of touch on the fact that in the lows, there were times that you're willing to push push it beyond the way a normal person thinks in the fact that life doesn't matter to you. And I don't know, I, uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to put into words, but there was definitely days where I felt like I couldn't couldn't do it, I guess. More in the last 10 years? Yeah, yeah. Since Noah was born? Yeah, well, I mean, even before Noah was born, mm -hmm. like, I was always struggling with certain things. But, um... Is it's... it... Is it, is it uh, sorry for interrupting. No. Is it... Is it kind of a self-worth thing that you're... And you're, you're challenging yourself constantly? You don't know how to let go of that? No, for me, like, I have a really... I had a low self-esteem when I was a younger kid mm -hmm. because I always was struggling to fit in 
like riding a BMX bike, doing all this stuff, like you're always striving to please other people and show people like, hey, this is what I can do. This is what I can do. This is what I can do to fit in. This is, I can jump this this far. Hey, is is that cool? Like, is am I cool now? Is this like, you're you're always striving for approval from your friends and your peers. And I always wanted that approval. And then when I did get that approval, it was almost like I realized that it didn't matter. And I got to a certain point in riding that it didn't matter to me anymore what anybody else thought. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to deal with the fact that I wanted to push things to the edge and I didn't care about dying. I didn't care about hurting myself. I didn't care about, okay, I'm gonna jump this. I could hit my head and be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. I could, I could, that could be it. But for me, I was like, ah, it's not a big deal. It's no big deal. And that, it brings up so many feelings because my friend TJ that I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. um, he committed suicide two years ago. A uh, really good friend of mine just committed mm-hmm. suicide two weeks ago, three oh weeks gosh. ago. I've had nine friends that have committed suicide mm-hmm. in the last 20 years. Wow. So for me, it's I hold it like so close to my heart that it's really important to know yourself inside and out and know how to deal with the highs and lows of life because I parallel it with my bike riding and I'm willing to push anything to the edge. Like two years ago, um, I jumped this, this jump in the, the mountains in Spain and it was a do or die type of thing where I was like, okay, like I'm pretty confident I have this, but if I don't, it's, there's a good chance this is it because it was 40 feet down and it was a sheer rock face. And if I didn't make it, there was, it was just a gap straight down to the road. And I was like, well, fuck it. I don't care. And my son is here <laughs> and I'm there. And I just kind of like, it puts things in perspective because it's like, what makes me want to push myself to that pinnacle of do or die when I have somebody that depends on me here? And I ask myself that question a lot, but I always come back to the same answer that if I'm not that close to death, then I can't live. And it makes me feel more alive when I'm super close to to death to the end of it right and all my friends that I've lost in the last 10 years 15 years my first my first friend Heath he committed suicide when we were in 7th grade he hung himself 7th grade in 7th grade and the problems you have in 7th grade are not problems no you might have mental struggles, I mean, but being the age we are, looking back at that now, it's it's such a it's a, such a shame. And he used to come out to the trails. He would ride with us. He was a good guy. And he just had he just had like these these demons. Mm-hmm. And I understand it and I get it and 
everybody has their things they struggle with, and I struggle with it day to day. And I wanted to bring this up, especially because I think when you see certain people in the magazine and you see like, I don't know, you just see, you see a, a person, for instance, you just pick somebody out of a magazine, you're like, wow, their life must be amazing. Like they're traveling, they're doing all this, they're doing that. But that's not the end all be all. Like the end all be all is being happy where you are doing exactly what you want which is a hard balance to strike that it's is... a really really hard balance and for me I struggle with it all the time and I've had highs I've had lows mm-hmm. I've had the lowest low was going through a divorce not mm-hmm. riding much for two years I gave up riding because I thought I had to sacrifice that for a work life and being a, a a husband that was giving 110% and you cannot give 110% if you're not happy and you're not whole as a person and for me BMX was such a huge part of my life from the time I was four years old till that time I gave it up entirely and I said okay I was still riding I was still riding like you know once a week maybe once every two weeks but I just gave up the the network of friends and that network is such a heavy support in who you are as a person and nobody will understand that besides the people that are in it Mm -hmm. I could call literally a hundred people right now and they would fly right here if I said I was having a problem Mm -hmm. and I would do the same for any of them and not many people have that and we're really fortunate to have that but you get lost in the darkness sometimes where you know, you I'll never forget. There. I'll never forget. I was like, I was sitting in my car at the end of a road one night, and I was like, okay, um, if I drive my car as fast as I can, I can hit this wall at the end of the ocean at 120 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. That'll kill me on impact, and I'll flip into the ocean. And it's, it's, it's sad to say. Yeah. But. I had already lived, I've been to 25 countries at that point. I'd seen so much. I'd seen people with nothing. I'd seen people with everything. I'd been flown all over the world. I've stayed at five-star hotels. I've slept on a bench. I've done it all to that point. But to that point, I was so lost in the fact that I just kept myself in this box and I didn't want to talk to anybody. And it felt like I had this weight on my chest to where I couldn't move and I couldn't explain to anybody how I felt that I just felt lost. And I felt like I was in a place that nobody would understand. Nobody would take me serious. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would tell somebody and they'd be like, oh, well, that's your, that's your struggle. Sorry, that's your problem. And I, I was in a, a place where I just wanted to end it and I didn't want to have to deal with anything anymore. And it brings me to dealing with my friend's passing and my friend's suicides. And having one friend commit suicide is one thing because you have that that feeling. I had that feeling in seventh grade mm-hmm. where I realized my friends were, holy shit, this, he's not going to be there anymore. He's not there. Mm-hmm. And then understanding as you go through 
okay, this person killed themselves. This person did this. This person did this. And as you go, like, I almost got hardened. And it's sad because, like, you get hardened to the fact that these people are in the same position that I was in. And I didn't understand it at the time because I was like, well, it's something they're dealing with. It's their problem. They must have had an issue. Everybody has this issue. It's just where you suppress it and how you deal with it and if you can talk about it. And talking about it is the most important thing. And getting out and living a life mm -hmm. that you can really be proud of and keeping people in your life that are positive role models for you. And they probably need you just as much. And that's just it. And realizing that you have so much to live for. Mm -hmm. And that night, I was sitting in that car, and I realized, like, I said, well, I'm willing to push it so far to the close, like, so far to do things that people, not, not many people would try to do. We understand because we do it. But the normal... If you ran into a person on the road and said, hey, you're going to jump your, your bike, you know, you're going to do a 20-foot air on a mega ramp, or you want to do this or that, it's not within grasp of a normal person. It's somebody that puts in, they're dedicated. They dedicate their life to it. And we dedicate our lives to this. And when you don't understand that it's such a big part of your life, and it has to be a big part of your life, and you just give it up, there's always going to be a hole. And I just realized that at that time, like, it was, it was a slow, slow process back because it was understanding that I was trapped in a, a really bad marriage that was in a, a bad place. Mm -hmm. I got out of that. I realized that bike riding and all my friends within bike riding, it was a family. And that was my, my true family, my whole life. I've had that family. I mean, I have my family that I've grown up with, my, my blood family, and then I have my, my BMX family, which is... They're on parallels. They're the same to me. Because Joe, Ruben, Brad, John, JB, Maddie, who's sitting in the next room here, mm -hmm. these, they're my family. Mm -hmm. And it just made me realize that, like... And they all get it. They all get it. They mm -hmm. all understand me for who I am. They're not going to be like, you just ditch work for a week to disappear. And it's like, they understand that I'm going through something. That's what I need at that exact moment. You know what? It made me realize that I need to try to talk to my friends, talk to the people that I care about, talk to anybody that I can reach and say, talk to somebody you're close to, keep your friends closer, keep your enemies closer, right. keep everybody close to you, right. and keep this in conversation. It's not, it's the elephant in the room in BMX. It's something we're all facing at some level, and yours yours got to the point where it was self-destructive. Yeah. So it, it and it's and let me first say, thank God you have friends, and thank God you're here today. Yeah. I'm really happy you didn't drive into that wall and flip into the ocean. No, well, I mean that's that's just it's I I try to use that as like it's it's just that was a struggle that I went through, but I want to put it behind me and look into the future because I have so many friends that are going through this. Mm -hmm. This is a really volatile industry in the fact that th you get the best experiences of your life in this industry. Mm -hmm. You get to travel. You get to see the world. You get to meet so many people. When you're done with this career, 
as a professional bike rider, there is no severance. There's no, no retirement. <laughs> no. Very rarely does somebody finish in the positive. Mm-hmm. You finish usually at a negative. You fi- finish with credit card debt. I always joke that my biggest sponsor in BMX was Chase. <laughs> because I put... Not hundreds- Chase Bikes. Chase, no. Chase Manhattan. Yeah. Chase, <laughs> right. Chase credit card services right, because right. I've paid more to them in the last 30 years. Right. Or, yeah. With my parents, too, because sure. they put it on their credit cards to get me to the Nationals, to get me everywhere. Yeah, right. But I'm just saying, like, it, I've, I've lived so much in that to where when I came out, I was... Fortunately, I was at zero. I didn't have any debt. I didn't have any, any money to my name. So I was like, okay, life starts here at 25. I have no college. Fortunately enough, I got into an apprenticeship for operating engineers. Mm-hmm. But it's a dark place. And it's a dark place when you come out of this great life that you've been living. And you've been traveling and you've been doing all these great things. And you come out and you just realize like, okay, like the real life starts now. Mm -hmm. And I used to think, I used to almost be like, fuck, you know what? This is such a really tough thing to deal with because you come out and you have to work your ass off for the rest of your life to make it. But we almost get a reverse retirement when when you ride professionally because you have this you have this window into seeing the reality of humanity and you get to travel to Africa. You get to travel to a lot of third world countries. You get to travel to a lot of first world countries to see everything in black and white and in color of these people have everything. They're not happy. These people don't have anything and they're happy. Right. So you want to try to hit right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like I want to work my ass off. I want to get somewhere that I'm proud of. I want to have a family. I want to get to a place where I can say, okay, this is what I, this is what I've always wanted. And, uh, when you, when you leave bike riding, I think that's a a fortunate thing. I thought I used to think it was okay. You finish and you have zero that that sucks for me. Now I think it's an awesome thing because you come out and you have that humanity. You have that, that look at, okay, I'm looking I'm going to start working my ass off. I'm going to get to where I want to be. And I know the potential of the bottom and the top of society. And like, I want to try to find my niche in that and work towards it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what keeps me going now because I, I enjoy having a job. I love going to work every day and not many people can say that. Believe me, there's days when there's waves or like I want to go ride my friends are like oh we're going to ride here I'm like oh man I wish I could go do that instead right but when I work my 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 few months straight to take a vacation I now I I found found a happy medium for myself I try to work 4 months for this day that I'm alive but I accept death every single day my most dangerous thing per day every single day is driving to work right <laughs> I drive on the turnpike I drive on the parkway Right. I see I see people die on the parkway all the time. Mm-hmm. And for me, it might sound crazy because I'm talking about death so much, mm-hmm. but in my life, I think about death all the time. And I have this relationship with death. And it's... I wake up in the morning, and I just... 
I'm so thankful. I have so much gratitude for everything that I have, everything that I've become, and everything that I will be in the future. And I just, I'm thankful for it. And I wake up every morning, and I started doing this a few years back, and it helps so much. So just to really be in the now, to mm -hmm. understand this moment right now, you're never going to get this moment back. Five minutes ago, it's past. The long short of this whole this whole story of me being in dark times is that if you need help, if you want help, if you don't want help, talk to somebody. Talk to me. You can you can talk to me any way possible. Talk to the bike company you're interested in. Mm -hmm. Send out a message. If you send out a help signal in this day and age, there's a good chance you're going to get reception. Mm -hmm. Especially. And I know the the help signal is the hardest thing because I struggle with that myself because I'm like, I don't need any help. Especially when you're in that place. You know, well, it's I, like, I, you know what? I don't need help because I've done everything for myself up mm -hmm. to this moment. I don't need help for anything in the future. I don't need help for anything. But then you talk to somebody and you're like, holy shit, I feel a hundred times better. That's just what I needed. I needed to talk to somebody and just for them to tell me that it's going to be okay and things will be fine in the future. And things are going to be, this isn't the end of the world that you can't pay this bill this month. Or that, you know, your kid's having a problem in school it's, today. I got a note that my son was having a problem in school. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, one day at a time. This is one day he had a problem today. This isn't saying five years from now he's going to be smoking weed in the back of the school with a bunch of bad kids. Mm -hmm. It's today he had a hard day. We take this day and we work on it and then we go to the next day. And try not to project yeah, I try not to think too far ahead, right? Because I'm, like, like everybody, we think we think a lot, it, and, <laughs> and that's what's destructive when you think. And that's what's destructive. Yeah, when you, that that's absolutely the way I feel. And BMX, what you're talking about, it's it's extending that age out as long as that person is, let's say, relevant. Mm -hmm. Because being relevant, I believe, is can be good and bad. Yeah. You know, if you don't know how to handle it. And fortunately, there's people that can really handle it. And as we're learning over the over past years, it's it doesn't end sometimes if you've been in it that heavy for a while. And obviously, that's something you identify with. And there's so many variables for, sure. for it because, I mean, a lot of what I went through was it has nothing to do with BMX per se. Mm -hmm. Just the my my coping mechanism had to do it was it was in me from BMX. My coping mechanism was always like, okay, let's go for it. Do that, or die. That's and that it. rolled over to other parts of your life. And that rolled over to everything in my life. Right. When I go out to eat, I'm either like fasting and barely eating like nuts and bananas, mm -hmm. or I'm eating three dinners. <laughs> it's like do or die. Like, And anybody that knows me knows that like I'm super health conscious, <laughs> yeah. but every once in a while, like, you know, Wow, Garrett has a hollow leg. He can eat more than like most people his size. But right. you know, right. that's I try to to walk that line, and mm -hmm. we all struggle. We go up and down, and right. but it's like you try to walk that line. Sure. But you have to you have to accept when you don't follow that line that it's still possible to pull it up or push it down because yeah, <laughs> suppressing those feelings mm -hmm. is the worst thing possible. You have to share them share them with everybody and I learned that now because suppressing things 
take yeah. you to dark places for sure. But I've acknowledged the fact that, okay, I can just do the best for that day, and that's it. Right. In coming down, they covered that, that road gap. Was, was that Spain? Where was that? <laughs> In Spain, the one like between the two mountains, like over the road? Yes. Yeah, that, that's a funny story behind that, because um, that's actually in the mountains outside of Malaga in Spain. Okay. Um, there's this, this place called El Churro. It's like a mm-hmm. famous mountain climbing spot, and there's mm-hmm. King's Walk. It's just a really cool section outside of Malaga where Ruben lives. Mm-hmm. And we were driving through the mountains one day, and I've had that picture in my head my whole entire life from snowboard jumps and... I was like, a, but that's totally possible on a bike, like a good road jump. And I always wanted to do it. So we're driving through the mountains and I'm just like, okay, like. And I believe is... this kind of fits with what we're talking about. That's why. I yeah. Oh up. no, it totally does. I mean, it's all relevant. Like everything that sure. we're going to talk about is, is, is me. Like yes. this is all me. Like right. this is it. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to know about a... me, I'll tell you about me. That's it. Like I'm oh, just going yeah? to, I'm just going to. Well, that's what I love. Uh, <laughs> and I appreciate you trusting me with that. And, but this seems to be a really good example, you know, tying into exactly what you're talking about. So go ahead. No, sorry for interrupting on that. But No, no worries. So we're driving through the mountains, and um, it's so scenic out there. If you get a chance, definitely head out there. Um, I was just explaining to you, you can get a plane ticket out there for 500 bucks, 400 bucks. Right. It's life-changing. Definitely get out there. Anywhere in Europe, anywhere in the world. But, okay, right. back to... Right, right. I got you. <laughs> back to it. So we're driving through, and um, I see like this, like we drive through between those rock faces, and I'm just kind of like, holy shit, that looks like a pretty good road gap. Mm-hmm. I was like, huh, that's pretty cool. I was like, Ruben, pull over. Let's go check it out. And he's like, he like rolls his eyes, but he's like, okay, because he, Ruben knows me, and we've been together like a long time now. We've traveled a lot, like mm-hmm. we're brothers, you know? Right. So... We go up there and like I'm looking at it and I'm like, holy shit, like this is totally possible. And I'm like... I don't know how you could ever have viewed that from one side of the road and said that's possible. No, well, I mean, you just look at something and you just kind of have like this dream, this dream set up. And you always, Mm. I always like, I'm a photographer, like I've always shot photos too besides riding. Yeah. So I always have a picture in my head of different dream pictures. I probably have 10 or 12 of them still to this day like bucket list pictures that I want to create oh wow and it's when everything fits right it'll Mm -hmm. happen but it's not something I go out and search for if it happens great so I saw this and I was like wow it almost seems possible like and it was pretty much flat it was a flat gap um, for probably about 40 feet in distance so it wasn't super far, but just far enough. So I'm looking at it, and I'm like, well, there's kind of a run-up. Like, it, but it's like, we're through on the, the side. Through the woods? <laughs> through the woods, and we're on the side of a mountain. So it's soft terrain, but it's down, it's straight, like, downhill on a mountain. So it's like, it's soft, so you're not going to gain speed on the packed, the packed, like, there's no hard pack. You're on soft terrain. It yeah, so like, I mean, I'm just looking at it, I'm like, well, it's maybe possible. Anyway, yeah. Maybe possible. But I'm like, whatever, no big deal. So I'm walking back the run up and I'm looking and like I see this tree and there's like this piece of wood sticking out from behind a tree. So I'm like, what the hell is that? So I go look, there's a lawn ramp there. There's this little tiny lawn ramp that's like stands three feet high. 
and like in the middle of the woods this rickety ass launch ramp like three feet high it's almost like an evil Knievel like wedge ramp sure barely any tranny to it just kind of like a wedge yeah. and I'm looking at it and I'm like that is bizarre I'm like I'm looking at this jump and there's a launch ramp right here so I was like huh okay well let's go Ruben like we were going to my friend Javi, uh, Javier Ortega who's a good friend of mine from, from Malaga who used to ride for fly bikes and mm-hmm. Spanish legend um, we were going to his house because it was his birthday and he has a house out there in the mountains. So uh-huh. we were going to his birthday at his house. And we go back to Malaga and, like, we're just doing day-to-day stuff, just kind of cruising with Ruben, riding the park and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't get this thing out of my head. And I'm just kind of like, I know it would probably be possible, but, like, there was a ramp there. I was like, Ruben, you have to talk to one of your friends to see, like, did somebody try it before? Like, why was there a ramp there? So he calls a few of his friends, and he's like, yeah, some guy on, like, a, a, tw- like a 26-inch dual suspension, like, mountain bike did it. But he looked it up on YouTube, and the guy, like, bike racks at first time, goes over the bars, but, pull like, falls, but frontward. clears the gap. Yeah. And then he pulls it the second time, and, like, barely pulls it, kind of sketchy, and he's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, so he did it on 26-inch. So that's why the ramp was there, so it made sense. Right. And I was just kind of like, well, it's interesting. That's interesting, like, interesting turn of events. Like, okay, so it's possible. And I knew it was possible anyway, but, like, just knowing, like, that knowing that somebody did it, right. it already has, like, an already be, been done factor. But sure. I was like, he did it on a dual suspension mountain bike with, like, chest protector, full face. Like, it's a different animal altogether. Sure. And I was like, for me, BMX, like, I love riding BMX on, like, downhill tracks mountain bike trails because it just you have different eyes like you look at things differently and you can still ride the same trails right and i have just as much fun and you need more skill to ride because you have a smaller wheel no suspension right so it's a lot of skill of really figuring out a lot of thought involved so i said ruben let's go back there tomorrow like i think i want to jump that gap so ruben's like really you want to jump that gap and i was like yeah i think i could do it I think it'll work. And he's like, okay. So. Didn't even fight you on it. <laughs> no, he kind of, he knows. He knows the deal. Yeah. I mean, we all know the deal. Like sure. Van, if Van says he wants to do something, sure. support him because I'd rather be there when he does something. Right. For if he, if something bad does happen, mm-hmm. then if something, you know, if you, I always have full confidence in my friends, but right. without full confidence, I want to be there to help them. Sure. I'd rather be there to help them than to know that they didn't have help. And um, so we're, we're like, okay, let's get the car together. Big Ed, who was a photographer for Dig back in the day at Doherty, he came with us. Um, and there was no intention on having video of it or anything. But Ruben's like, hey, I'll bring, I'll bring a camera or whatever. No big deal. And uh, Ed comes with us and friend Sammy and uh, friend Jesus meets us there. And we're just kind of like hanging out, cruising. We're driving driving through the mountains we get to the the mountain pass and it's blocked off like they blocked the road off so we're like fuck yeah so i'm like well i don't believe in bad omens like if you're gonna do something you're gonna do it no matter what if there's anything in front of you you're just gonna figure out a way to get past it so we drive to the other side of the mountain there's another roadblock they're working on some uh drill because there's a dam there so in case something happens on the the dam so we had to sit and wait there for two and a half hours 
at that roadblock till they let the the, lo- the road be open. Yeah. We wait for that roadblock. We drive through the roadblock. We get up the mountain. Ed starts puking out the window. He gets car sick. So he's throwing up out the window. And I'm just kind of laughing to myself because we're like, okay, we've already been through two roadblocks. And he's getting sick out the window. We get up to the exact road where we are. That's blocked off for they're cutting trees down. So we said, fuck it. We're parking the car. We parked the car there. We rode two miles up the mountain with shovels, camera bag, and our bikes. Mind you, like three three closed roads, car sickness. Most people would have given up. <laughs> two mile ride to where if anything happens, right. you're out there right. and the road's blocked. Like you're yeah. out there. Right. So I'm just kind of like, you know what? Whatever. We'll make it work. So we get up there and I'm like, I'm not guaranteeing I'm going to do it, but I'm, I think it's possible. So right. I get up there. We start cleaning everything out. We clean the trail out like a quarter mile, like up the side of the mountain. I put the ramp there, I kind of set it up, and we're like, you think the ramp's gonna hold me, like for the speed that I'm gonna have to hit it at? And I'm like, yeah, I think it'll be all right. And Ruben's like, I don't know. And, and we're like, yeah, I think it'll be fine. So we clean off the whole pathway, and um, mm-hmm. I realized that I need to get more speed, so I had to like scale like this rock face that was like an extra 40 feet high, that like you had to start rolling in on like these rocks mm-hmm. straight downhill to get speed, to right. get down to this trail. Once you got to the base of that trail, the base of the rock face, you were going too fast to stop. So when you got to that place, that was the place that was like... You're committed. Okay, here we go. There's no stopping now. Right. So I have everything set up. I'm like, okay, I think that'll work. This guy pulls up in a truck Mm -hmm. and he starts screaming at us. He's like screaming, like, you guys have to get out of here. This is... And this is in Spanish. I like... My Spanish is like... I'm getting bits and pieces of it, but I can hear that it's pretty heavy what he's yelling at us thousand dollar fine you guys have to be out of here and um ruben's like he just said we're gonna get a thousand dollar fine for disturbing this it's uh protected land oh okay and i'm like oh shit so he, ruben said hey i talked to him we have 15 minutes we have 15 minutes to set up do whatever you're gonna do make it look like we're never here and get the hell out of here or we get fines so i was like okay here we go, boys. <laughs> and uh, I went up to the top, and everybody got ready. And it was funny because, like, to this day, I think half the cameras we had didn't work. Like, we were just kind of like, just, it was more for the re, like, I just wanted to do it. And Ed was going to shoot a photo of it. So I had a photo of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got up on the rock, and I can never forget, like, much with, like, anybody that does something, like, pretty big you get up there and you have that last breath and you're just kind of like okay here we go and like you just say to yourself okay pushing off here we go and uh that was it i pushed off and that was as fast as i could go down that trail i hit the ramp probably at like 40 45 miles an hour for hitting a launch ramp going that fast that is like, fast it's on a BMX really, bike? Yeah, it's really fast. I mean, the fastest I'd ever hit anything before that was probably 30, 35. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd hit something close to it. And you're not but to hit a launch ramp that's five feet long, going that fast, it's like in a second, not even a second. It's a fraction of a second, and you're off. So, if you don't, like, I just hit it, and that was it. Next thing I knew, I landed, and I landed within three inches of the landing. So, literally... 
it was like jumping a dirt jump to where you catch perfect backside. Mm-hmm. I caught perfect backside and I stopped and it was less, just like, I didn't feel anything at that moment. Like I didn't feel like, like happy or sad or I was just kind of like, cool, it worked. Really? Yeah. Because I mean, it was just, I, I kind of thought it was going to work uh-huh. and it was just like, okay, it worked. Awesome. And everybody else was just like their eyes were wide open. I'll never forget it because they were just kind of like, "What the fuck just happened?" This and it is was, such a great example of your life, from as I understand. No, it was from so I, much, and it was so much fun. Like right. I try to bring fun into all those. Right. It's not like okay, here we go. Right, right, right. Usually, whenever you see anybody getting mm-hmm. psyched up for something, mm-hmm. that's like you know, like a big jump or any whatever, mm-hmm. and they're getting psyched up and they're like punching themselves or something. Right. That's a bad. That's a bad sign. That's a very bad sign because if you have to get that pumped up to do something right. and you're not confident and you're like, okay, here we go, and you're like slapping yourself in the face, it's like, okay, this is probably going to have a pretty bad end result. Like, right. they're either going to like go way past it or way before it. Like, right. it's just, it's, yeah, it's funny. And then we sat on that footage for like a year and a half, two years. You're kidding. Yeah, because we, I wasn't going to put it in anything because I was like, I'm not going to just put it out for whatever. It was for me. So I had the photo. I had it in my phone. And I would show my friends and be like, hey, look, look. And they'd be like, what the fuck? What is that? And then I would explain to them the story that I just told you. And I mean, I told this story to a handful of people because it's just, for me, like, I love when there's a story behind, like, a situation or something that you do. Right. And, like, I just have so much fun explaining, like, how things work and how, like, your mindset in doing something. And I just love the fact that like we had that picture and we're like, oh, cool. And then um, Dig said, hey, we're talking, we're thinking about doing this piece. And and I was like, well, I have this thing. If you want it, you can use it. And they're like, they saw it and they're like, okay, we could use this. And cool. Okay. And that was for Stu's documentary? Yeah, that was for, it wasn't for it though, because we did that well. I'm sorry. Yeah, they they just used it. it. Yeah, they just used it for that. And that was the first time anyone saw it was for the documentary? Yeah, Yeah, that was the first time anybody saw it. Yeah, and that um, was years. That was years before the documentary came out. Yeah, and how many? When was that? I think it was a year and a half. It was uh, 2015 that I had done that. Okay. Yeah, and I think the documentary came out last year, 2017. Yeah, yeah so. last year. Yeah. It and is. we're in such a such a great time in bike riding because mm-hmm. there isn't a ton to get out of it. Right. There's so much to put into it, and that's such a special thing. So it's it's a pretty cool mess right now. Yeah, I yeah, think. and honestly, like you see people that come back into it that have been out of it for a long time, and it's me. yeah, and I mean, you get to learn all this stuff that happened, and then you get to see all this stuff in the future of what's possible, and there, the sky's the limit in the future because now people are recognizing that this is something that's here to stay, and it, even if the industry is in a slump and we're not selling tons of bikes or people aren't like out buying bikes and kids are on their phones or doing whatever else there's that core community that will hold it together and it will it will surpass anything any obstacle mm-hmm. and that's just that's a given that's always happened it's happened time and time again and it will always happen i mean it'll always be here mm-hmm. and that's a that's a great great piece of uh of bmx yeah. history because it's going to happen there's peaks and valleys and we're in the bit of a valley right now. I mean, mm-hmm. on the high side, there's a lot of recognition. Mm-hmm. It's probably more popular than it's ever been. But at the same time, the bike industry, like, it's just, it's a, a weird thing where people put stuff out 
and it's just it's almost like there's not a, a lot of refinement they're just like bleh, like just putting things out there and I love refinement because I love like articulating exactly each piece of the puzzle because every person is three-dimensional and I hate seeing a one-dimensional person to where you just look at him and you're like okay this kid just rides all the time I know this kid doesn't just ride he has a life he does other stuff I want to know that I want to read an interview and I want to know you know his triumphs his adversities like what he's been through his family life I want to know all that because mm-hmm. that leads to that person that's it's, why he is the way he is that's why I love doing these and I love doing them long form because for, you get to, to be dig honest deep. With you, I could as, as deep as you want to go but I always hope for that I've talked for hours and hours about this because it's a passion so I can yeah. just keep going I think you get so much more out of it you really get to know yeah. each other and you get that comfort level it's got to be face to face though because I want this connection because it brings out so much yeah good bad everything that everyone can use to put together something that may make sense to them that may help them and that's why i brought you here today because this is maddie a friend of mine Mm -hmm. for for life we've been friends you know we met in australia in Mm -hmm. what was it first time probably 99 2000 something like that okay and he's ridden bmx his whole life but he started this bike company out of a passion for it rides bmx rides his long haul bikes cross bikes and we like we have a similar similar outlook on things sure and we all have the same passions Mm -hmm. so i was like you know what i'll bring you here because this is what i'm about this is it there's Mm -hmm. surfboards everywhere motorcycles bicycles everything right and put the worse that it gets, the better that it gets. Because usually the worse that it gets, the more people step up to help you and the mm-hmm. better friends you make. It's really, really, we're, we're so fortunate to be in this, uh, this arena of, of BMX where everybody's just like constantly evolving and like, hey, come, come here, do this, I'm doing this, you guys go here, let's do this. And everybody's always, you know, mixing and matching and exchanging things and yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'll go. Yeah, I'll no, go no, off on tangents all day, but that's. I would always just try to travel as much as possible. I'm taking. It, I'm taking it all in just because I'm not <laughs> saying anything. It's because I'm processing what you're saying, and and I, I, I'm glad you say that because so many, unfortunately, so many kids in society uh, don't give themselves that opportunity. If and it's fear. Reason. It's fear based. It's a lot of yeah. it's fear based because it's driven into you from a young age that okay. Um, we're going to go to this all-inclusive resort. Mm-hmm. We're going to go here. Everything has to be set up. Everything mm-hmm. like right. has to be perfect. This vacation has to be planned out. There has to be the clipboard of fun from, you know, from a National Lampoon's vacation, <laughs> the clipboard of fun. Like right. everything has to be checked. It's right. you know, you know what? I don't want to do this this day. Forget it. Slash right. it off. We'll right. just stay here an extra day. Or we'll go here an extra day. We'll do this. So and it's always it's... the it's always the journey, not the destination. Right. Because the destination, you get there, and you're like, okay, I'm here. Right. But the journey, like, there's endless stories from the journey. Okay. And you have to understand that there's a point where you need to realize that there is sacrifice in that. Mm-hmm. There is, there's always a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And it, to do exactly what, you're gonna, what you want to do, there might be some sort of sacrifice in that. Segment here, because 
Well, first of all, we watched uh, Coming Down Together at their house when I was out visiting them and did their podcast. We're watching your documentary. Just, you had said something I can't pin, I can't remember, I can't pinpoint exactly what it was, but it was essentially in a nutshell talking about living the way you want to live and doing things for yourself and, and just living life to the fullest. And Mike Callahan all of a sudden just yells out, fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it was so awesome because Mike, Mike and Jen get it. So he's like, oh, I just want to make sure that the boys, when they get old enough, they're not out on their butts after, you know. Especially okay, homeschooling. Now what do I do? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I gave him my best words of advice was teach the kids how to weld. Like somebody like Clint Reynolds, mm-hmm. he is an unbelievable welder. All my friends that are really good welders, I have a friend, uh, Milo, who lives, Mike Maloney, he lives just north of here, DEF CON on Instagram. Oh, heck yeah, yeah. And he is a meticulous oh, welder. He's a great welder. Jay Lonegram. Amazing welder. Yeah, for industrial. All the boys out in Bethlehem, a lot Mm -hmm. of them are boilermakers, amazing welders. Mm -hmm. If you're a really good welder, usually you'll have a job anywhere. That's, I think that's, there's never been a video that's captured me as a person because you can't capture me as a person unless you're here talking to me or see me in person. Hey, it's almost going back to that one dimensional versus three dimensional. Yeah, well, that's it. You see somebody on a video and that's, who they are in that particular day and it's them getting from point A to point B in an obstacle or doing whatever in but you get no personality <laughs> from that you might see him throw their bikes oh that guy's pissed off he throws his bikes he breaks the bike sure but he's not really that person yeah. it's just who he was in that particular second right so it captures a moment it's like a photograph it captures a moment of something well you know I want you to you're going to be talking a lot so I want you to not feel perched. I don't want you to lose your voice halfway through this. Because... I've, I've never, I've never talked myself dry. <laughs> so I've heard you're fine. the ultimate storyteller. So uh... I started uh, racing, and uh, the trophies in the woods thing was, um, you know, my parents. We didn't have, we didn't have any money growing up. Yeah. You know, so we were pretty much dirt poor and. Uh, you know, I had a crappy bike that was just pieced together from whatever I, I could piece yeah. together. But to get to the race, I would I would ride my bike to South Park, which yeah. was maybe like eight or nine miles. Really? So when I left after school for a race on, on a Wednesday night, Wednesday night races, I would leave my house with my Echo helmet on, you know, the Jaffa hanging off the helmet, a long sleeve T-shirt, long pants, and... Um, I remember I didn't have any money for a backpack. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I couldn't throw a helmet in the backpack or anything. So you just rode, you know, those miles out to the track, and that, that right. was it. Right. So you get there, and then you race, and you win this trophy. Yeah. So now I'm nine miles away from home, and, and I have this trophy. And on I'm a like, night. Yeah, yeah, on a Wednesday night, and I have right. school in the morning. I'm thinking, what the hell am I going to do with this trophy? So I would ride up over the hill by where South Park uh, skate park is right now and once I got to the other side there were some woods yeah. and I would take the trophy and I would throw it into the woods because I, it really didn't mean anything to me it, it was just a, a plaque but <laughs> I, I didn't want to ride all the way home with it and I learned that the hard way because I rode those nine miles yeah. with the trophy <laughs> in hand so you know that, that was uh, that was it 
So you came home empty-handed all the time. Did your parents think you were a loser and you just never won? <laughs> you know what? They didn't ask many questions about it, to tell you the truth. They didn't, uh, you know, they knew that I, I liked riding my bike, but it wasn't a, um, it wasn't a family affair. Right, right. You know, that was, right. uh, my parents were, were divorced and uh, yeah. that was, uh, that was it. They just knew, hey, he's leave in the morning on his right. bike and he'd come home at night on his on his bike right so as right. long as i came home um that was yeah. it right right so I, I like that but i really don't want to pedal my ass off to the first turn right and the last straight i don't want to pedal on the last straight either yeah i wanted to jump the second straight jump the jumps in the third straight and right. the, jump the pro jump right and then i wanted to be done so like I just wanted the middle of the track yeah. where the jumps were. So if they had a half track circuit in race series, you you would have done that. If they had a starting gate in the first turn and then, and then yeah. a finish line after the pro jump. Yeah, but that's still me today. That's that's still me today because when as we stand here in this room, like this room is perfect for me. Yeah. You know, there's five jumps. Right. There's no bullshit before the jumps and there's no bullshit after the jumps. There's just five jumps. Right. Like, Growing up, that's all I wanted to do was jump my bike. Right. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to do anything else. I wanted yeah. to jump it. That's where the uh, the excitement is for me, or that's what I enjoyed most was actually jumping. Right. So to pedal your ass off into the first turn. Yeah. You know. Right. Sure. You might get a chance to put wingding over the turn when you get there. <laughs> take your buddy out. But he didn't want to do it, and that's what uh, you know. Th- that's pretty much me in a. In a in one sentence, you know, it's like, I just want to jump my bike. Right, right. I don't want to do all the other bullshit that comes along yeah. with it, you know. I just yeah. want to jump it. That's right. it. So that was, uh, it got to the point where going to the track, yeah. it just was, you know, wasn't worth worth it. There weren't enough jumps, so right. we built our own. The track, the BMX track to me is is the the biggest thing that's missing in, in BMX, yeah. For me, if you look at if you look at the majority of the people I know through riding bikes, I met every one of them at South Park BMX track. Really, you know. So and that that was when the all of the dirt jumpers, you know, slowly they they had the DK dirt circuit. They were at the at the track because it was held during a national, you know. Right. But I I think that the the BMX track in, in racing was such a huge influence on so many people, not just in BMX, but just in your work ethic. If you look at who digs at all the trails these days, who is it? It's an old racer, because right. they have a good work ethic. Right. Unlike the, the younger kids, they just want to show up and, and everything's done for them. Right. You know, whereas if you grew up racing, you knew what it took. There was, there was a hell of a lot more effort that goes into racing than it does to just get dropped off at a skate park to ride. Right. You know, so those racers and, you know, the way that uh, th- that you had to be back then, you had to do it all yourself. Right. There was nobody doing it. So when you go and look at the trails these days at who's still digging, right. they're old racers. Jay Lonergan. Yeah, that's true. An old racer. That's true. Keith Terra, yeah. an old racer. Yeah. Superfly, yeah. an old racer. Right. You know, that being said. Yeah. You're never gonna catch the double way pros digging dirt. No. You know, the BF is not was not gonna shovel dirt. Morales was not gonna was not gonna dig. You know, like you're not gonna get those cats out there putting a shovel in in, in the ground. Yeah. You know, right. but 
that I believe is one of the one of the things that's missing from yeah. uh, from BMX today is the mm-hmm. because the trail scene is more it's an old scene yeah. when you look at it right. and as we were coming up and you looked at all the big jumps the guys at posh they were all young at the time the guys at push we were all teenagers yeah. 13 14 15 16 years old right. is, is when we built them right. and then you look at um, the guys even out in california sheep hills right you know bar spinner ryan and his, his crew of guys those guys they were all young at that they were all teenagers and they all grew up racing you know, and they mm-hmm. had that work ethic where they knew they knew how to work, and that's what it takes to build and maintain trails. Right. And even the ravine with the Fort Wayne guys, they were all they you were know, a lot of racers. Yeah. Yeah. The, the best people to watch ride, the majority of them, in my mind, yeah. to watch rip around a skate park are racers. Yeah. Corey Walsh, racer. Yeah. Chris Fox, racer. Yeah. You know, like all of these guys grew up racing. Right. You know, and it gives them a certain skill set that I think a lot of kids don't don't have these days. Yeah. You know, yeah. so Brian Foster. Yeah. Racer. racer. Yeah. yeah. O- obvious. I mean, what? Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah, all those guys. Yeah. So it's a little it's a little different, but yeah. that I think is. Uh, I think Florida was the last contest I went to, and I think it was not. It could have been '98. Every time, uh, every time I would ride, my knee would pop out of place, okay. typically. Um, if I put my foot down, it could. Or if I was just standing next to a jump and, you know, went to turn around weird, it, it would yeah. pop out. And, um, and I, was, I was miserable, too. So uh, John Paul Rogers actually said to me, you know, at the time, he said, why do you come to these? What's that? He had knee trouble, right? Pretty sure he had knee trouble. He had... He had- he had something that was knocking him out for sure. Aside from his mental issues, yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. But, <laughs> but anyway, uh, he said he he told me, and he was um like he was the team manager for XS at the at the time who I was riding for. Yeah. As a co-sponsor, he said, "Why do you come?" He said, "You absolutely hate these things. <laughs> you know, you're miserable. You know, you you're this isn't you. You know, why do you come?" And I, I said, "You know what?" I said, "You're absolutely fucking right." I said, "I'm never coming back to one of these things again." And I, and I never did. Yeah. I never did. I never. And this would have been later 90s. My, that would have been either 98 or 99. Yeah, yeah. I think was the last contest Got it. that I rode in. So, so during that time period, there, that must have been when, when a lot of the videos were happening and a lot of the coverage. And I'll, I'll unzip my, uh, don't, don't worry anyone, I'll unzip and, and show you my ground chuck t-shirt that I'm wearing. Uh, so when did all this media start to happen in that time period? Because was it during the competing, or because this is from what? Well, like ninety-seven or ninety, maybe ninety-seven Florida contest. Oh, it's from Orlando. a Florida contest. Okay. Yeah, from Orlando, and I must have done that seat grab trick a thousand times over that jump because Gary Ellis was standing to the left of the jump. I remember this like it was yesterday, you know, and. I mean, the lumberjack was a beast. Oh, yeah. So he's standing next to the jump, and I did one, you know, and he's like, oh, that was a really fucking cool trick. Mm. So, like, I must have been trying to show off for Gary Ellis, I think, but I must have done a thousand of them, you know, over the jump, because that, that yeah. to me, I, I was like, 
Yeah. Oh man, Gary Ellis thinks this is cool. Right, right. You know. Oh, that's but, awesome. But uh, meanwhile, there's like, there's absolutely nothing I have in common with Gary Ellis. But I, <laughs> right, right. but I thought the beard. I, yeah, <laughs> maybe a little bit. That's about <laughs> it. Yeah. But um. So you were doing you were doing contests, but um, probably the, the most infamous picture of you, or famous picture, not infamous, would be the the one-handed flatty. So that was at Push, or where was that? Uh, the, uh, that's from Posh. Oh, it is from the Posh. One-handed flatty. Yeah, like, when I look back on, on riding, you know, like, I'm, I'm happy about, uh, like, media coverage or stuff like that in magazines. You know, the cover of Tread was always, like, something that I, I thought was awesome. Right. You know, and that, that picture from, from Posh, you know, both one-handed tabletops. Um, that would have been new Posh, right? Yeah, that's new posh. That's middle on posh. Okay. Um, yeah. And that was the day after my senior prom. I forget how it happened. Someone called. You know, I don't know if it was Hallman called or or somebody from Standard called and said, "Hey, you know, we want you to go out and um, and shoot for an ad. We're gonna do an ad." Mm-hmm. And I met Ed Doherty out there, and um, or Doherty, Ed Doherty, out there and. Uh, I went to my senior prom, went, my girlfriend at the time made me, her mother made me a thermos of coffee, filled with coffee, I got on the turnpike and drove all night. After the prom? After the prom, I slept on the side of the PA turnpike for about two hours. Most people go to the beach or something like that, and Jersey Shore after that's the all prom. Over, that's all overrated. <laughs> that's a, there's no place like Posh. No. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, so I go to the prom, drive all night, yeah. Go out there, and everybody at the Superdome at yeah. the time was, was the that was what they called the house there where all, everyone was living in it was oh, the right. Superdome because all the superstars of yeah. BMX lived in there, and and the majority of them were still sleeping or hungover and whatnot. And, uh, myself, were Ed. You, were these some of the ECD guys, or that would be like uh, Lucky, Joe yeah. Rich, Mel Cody. Okay. Um, I think Taj was still living there at, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Sandy Carson. Sandy, McGilla, um, Joe DeGerda, Ed and myself went to the trails. And, okay. And, uh, you know, had a nice little 9 or 10 a.m. session. Wow. But we're the only sober guys. Wow. So. Uh, and that's when you ripped that picture. Yeah, which was, it's always nice um, to go and not know what, what it's going to come from you riding or somebody taking a picture yeah. of you. You know, nowadays they film somebody and everybody gathers around it and they all watch it over and ought to see if it's good. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. I didn't know. We just rode that day right. and that was the end and then a, right. um, somebody said, hey, your ad in, in Ride Magazine's awesome. That, that was it. That's how you found out. Yeah, so yeah. You, don't, you don't know what it's gonna, right. it's gonna be. So that... Uh, right. Which is, which is still is part of the cooler things growing up in that time when you had print. Yeah. Is that in um, when I was in high school, there was a little convenience store directly across the street. Yeah. So you could go over there and buy a BMX Plus. Right. You know, and see what was in it, but you didn't know. You didn't have. There was that. Uh, you, there's more anticipation for something right. um, coming out. You know, oh, you're yeah. waiting on it. Oh, I can't wait to see. Yeah. I heard such and such did this. Yeah, yeah. You know, I heard rooftop 360 between two right. buildings. Right. So you just wait and wait and wait, and you hear this rumor about it, but 
but you don't know if it's true until you go and get the magazine. Yeah, and, and being known as Ground Chuck is it's funny anyway, because it wasn't a bike name that I, I got from riding bikes or anything. It was a, just a name that an older brother, friend of mine's older brother in high school gave me. Oh, really? And only one person knew that they called me that in school that rode bikes. It was a friend of mine. And we were talking shit on each other at the trails, and he goes, oh, yeah, they call you Ground Chuck. Like, that was it. And everyone was like, what the fuck? They call you Ground Chuck at school? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. And, like, that, that was it. You know, so, I mean, I'm, everyone uh, called me Ground Chuck from there on out. But I, I win the contest. Yeah. And, you know, it was Taj and Joe Rich and Dave Mirror was in the contest. And I get... 300 bucks. I think it was $300 to win. Oh, you know, and I, I was just thinking to myself, like, man, this, you know, th- at the time it, it was great. Right, right. But you look at, you know, years later in the X Games, and there's $25,000 yeah. purses and stuff, and you're like, man, I just won this and I got 300, 300 bucks. You know, like, I can afford, like, a new set of cranks, right. you know, and uh, new right. pedals and to get home. But, uh, but the contest scene took off. Publicity with the uh, with television, with the magazines. Tread came out, which was uh, which was big for me when the first issue of Tread came out. Um, the contest scene sort of uh, I wore myself out just thinking about how much I disliked it. A lot of times, right. I had fun, but when you look up on that on that judging table, you look up there. You're riding all day with your buddies, and you look up, and it's the, D- the DK trailer. And right. you got this total group of fucking jokers on top of the DK trailer. And they're judging you. You know, so, like, the only judge worth a rat's ass ever up there was Corey Muth. Because Corey oh. Muth could ride a fucking bike. Yeah, you right. You know? But right. you look up there, and, like, you got John Paul. John Paul's not going to hit that fucking jump that I just hit, <laughs> you know? And then you look up there, and you got Budden Deck. Button deck's not going to hit that fucking jump. Right. You know? Right. And you got Mike McHugh, you right. know, from, from uh, Toledo. He's not going to hit that fucking jump. Right. You know? Right. And you got you have these guys. And the worst of all was a guy named Brian Fell. He was like oh. the bully bikes guy. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like... From Florida. Yeah. I'm like, you're 280 fucking pounds if I've never seen you ride a fucking bike in your <laughs> life. And you're going to tell me, like, what you think is be- what you think looks good? Yeah. You know, like, you don't know what it's like to do any of these tricks. So who the fuck are you to judge me doing them? You know? And, like, I would look at some of the scores, and I would think, oh, this man. is fucking bullshit. And, I'm, I'm, I mean, there were a couple times right. where you'd look at them and say, what right. the fuck are these people thinking? Right. And, I mean... Believe me, I think Bundex, one of the great, nicest guys, great guy. Love the guy. Um, Mike McHugh, love him, love John Paul. But, you know, I, I don't know if they should be up there judging a, a, a jumping contest with right. uh, Leland Thurman. Yeah. Leland is not going to jump a fucking set of doubles, you know? Like, it's just not, it's not going to happen. You know, I like the guy more than most guys in BMX, but he shouldn't be able to tell me what he thinks a a fucking good score is. Right. You know, like if you jump something and you do a 360x up and you get a fucking nine. Right. And you go and you do a no-footed seat grab x up and you get a seven. I'm like, fuck you. You know, like, or even a a no-footed x up. I could do a million no-footed x ups at at 14 years old. Right. No one's doing no-footed seat grab X-ups. You do one, you get and you get a lower score. Right. Well, you get a lower score because people don't know what the fuck they're looking at because they don't do it. 
You know, like they don't know. Right. So it, I got to the point where I'm looking at them thinking like, they suck. Yeah. Like it, it was always spin to win. That's what they'd say. Right, right, spin right. to win. Yeah. 360 and throw a shitty variation in, you right. know, and everyone's like, oh my God, dude, you did a one-handed three. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it just don't work, right. you know, for me. Right. And I, I'm, I'm going off now, but any time that, oh, that you could do a fucking trick out of a bunny hop, it's right. not the trick for me. Right. Like right. if you can do it in a bunny hop, bunny hop bar spin, not right. the trick for me. Bunny hop tail whip is right. not the trick for me. Right, right. You know, like there's no, you can't make a bunny hop stylish. Right. You know, you can't. Right. So, you know, th- that was it. I, I looked at all those tricks and I was like, this, this isn't for me. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, and I don't know about anybody else, but I always have to land front wheel first. Yeah. If I don't, I, I failed. Right. You know, and like right. you get into those contests and it just wasn't my style of riding. Right. You know, it was flailing and, you know, limbs going everywhere and yeah. people breaking themselves off left and left and right. Right. You know, and I just thought, like, how much of this is, is like, circus shit? You know, and that, and that was that was how it went. And I'm like, this, right. to me, like, I'm a BMX rider. I'm not a freestyler. Like, I'm, I've always been the same way. Bicycle motocross. That's right. what I've always, how I've ridden, what I've done. You know, that was it. Not, right. not that. So it just got to that point yeah. where I was like, you know what? This does. This sucks. Yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. I don't. I don't want any parts of it right. anymore. I would much rather just ride and uh, build our own Sorry. Jumps. So, right. um, you know, the GT guys would show up, and um, someone reminded me of this the one day. Of, <laughs> I would take. You didn't have to pedal at all towards the first jump and push. Yeah. So. You know, we like GT was the enemy yeah. back then. You know, we had thought they fucked over Brian Foster. You know, oh, we had, right, we right. thought Brian was the greatest thing in the world. Still do. Yeah, still yeah. do think Brian's the best. But yeah. you know, we, we hated GT at the right. time. Right. So like the GT guys would show up, you know, and would race, and they'd be like, "Oh, we'll follow somebody through the trails." So I would pedal my ass off at the first jump. Yeah. And then I would just jam on the brakes right before it and just, like, skip over it. And they would launch it to flat and just explode. Oh, my god! You know, and it was... Uh, but those were some of, some of the best times were there. Uh, during the Nationals, um, the push-kill-yourself jams yeah. were just fantastic because yeah. it, it was just total chaos. It was awesome. Everybody there was, you know, younger. It was yeah. younger kids. You got a ton of people coming in. And um, that and then... Just digging there a lot of right. times, you know. Right. I would skip school on rainy days so that I could dig instead of uh, instead of ride. So I would go out there and you would dig all day, turn on the radio with the we would uh, would listen to the oldies because we couldn't decide what radio station to listen <laughs> to. So Stig said we had to listen to the oldies, and that we, was uh, that was those were the best times. Well, I'm going to jump back to another question on push, but. This works with the first question. This one's from uh, Biz Jordan, Ryan Jordan. He says, was South Park your most dreaded weekend because of, it? This, this ties in with exactly what you just said, because of the 800 people that would show up at the trails and destroy them, or did you enjoy it? I was one of the 800. <laughs> oh, you know, like I said I did enjoy it. I mean, this, <laughs> listen, you gotta love a sprocket case. Oh, yeah. Whether it's on your jump or not, you right, gotta, right. You gotta love 
someone sinking the old 44 tooth into the backside oh, and coming no. to a complete halt. And what was, I mean, it was comical because you yeah. got these guys and they might have a race or a, they might have a main later that day. Right. And they show up and some of them would just fucking destroy their bikes. Uh -huh. You know, you're thinking like, damn, dude, this dude in Clips just showed up in his uh, answer race gear, you know, and just snapped his forks off. Oh God! You know, you're like, oh, this. So yeah. I mean, it was, it was good and bad. Yeah. You know, yeah. you liked it. You didn't like. You didn't like that they killed all of the jumps. It was a. Uh, it was a great time. And like I said, all those guys that would come in, you know, they were coming for the national. But during the national was the jumping contest. Right. So that's all. That's all of your buddies right. coming into town. Right. You know. So that's. You know, I don't see how anybody could. Look back. I mean, we might have complained about it, but that's just how we are, Pittsburgh. Yeah, you're right. But uh, at the time, you know, we probably said it sucked, but it wasn't. Uh, here, let's do a Crandall one. Uh, tell us about summer vacations to the Fat House. Best and worst thing that ever happened to my, me in my entire life. Uh, so it, I was, I was 15, I believe, maybe the first time I went to the Fat House, and. You know, I would travel out there with uh, Justin Cummings, the Pittsburgh local uh -huh. here. And, um, you know, we stayed like a week at a time. And the fat house was just out of control. Yeah. Mike Tag, McGillow, Joe DeGerda, um, Stu was, I don't think Stu lived there just yet at the house. But with, with Crandall, Jody Donnelly, um, some sketchy ass skaters on occasion would, would be there. And uh -huh. it was just out of control. So as as like fifteen year old kid riding bikes, you know, like that's where the bike jumps were. So at the time, if it would rain in Pittsburgh, yeah, and we looked at the weather and it said it was gonna rain for five days. Right. We would then go to like a payphone at right. the uh Coons uh was the name of the, the grocery store outside of the trails. Yeah. And we'd call Fort Wayne and say, What's the weather like? Oh, it's dry all week. Yeah. Okay, we're coming out. Yeah. And that was it, you know, in the summertime. So I'd go out there as a young kid, and I probably learned more of what not to do with my life than what to do. Um, because, I mean, everybody everybody was drinking like yeah. crazy. Right, you know, they're right. drinking and partying. Crazy shit would go down at the house. Um, stuff would be lit on fire. Stuff would, God would be hanging a... Um, uh, an old like bell helmet filled with CDs from his from his dick piercing and stuff. And, oh my god! You know, I mean, it, there was always somebody showing up at the house, either trying to sell him a bag of meat that they stole from the store, oh. and uh, so you had all kind of shady cats there. And, and wow. um, but one of the best things there was, um, you know, Cran Crandall is he's always been pretty much the same. He was he was wild at yeah. the time, but uh, Magilla. And Mike Tag, uh, McGill's room was in the very front of the house. Right. But that's where I would stay. Because I was like the innocent, fragile-minded little little kid right. at the trails that could just ride a bike. And yeah. they were all, you know, McGill didn't drink either. Oh, okay. yeah. So um, that's where I would stay. And McGill and, and Tag always looked out for me yeah. more so than... Than, than anybody else. Yeah. You know, like there would be some crazy shit going on, going on at the house, but yeah. they always made sure that I was all right. Right. You know, as a young right. kid. So, I mean, those were uh, those were pretty pretty fun t fun times. Yeah. Right. You know? 
So, but I won, and I just thought that it sucked. I thought that it sucked to win that contest. Yeah. Doing something like that because it got graded higher. They're like, oh, he did a bar spin. Oh, you know, he right, did a bus right. driver, and I just didn't think it was worth that. So I yeah. mean, yeah, I, I didn't think I deserved to win that contest. Right. And I don't. I think maybe. Oh man, maybe Brian Fell was judging that one too. Fuck Brian Fell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to Trey Jones. Craziest Rick Malinterno story? Every single day. Every day? Every day was a crazy Rick Malinterno story. There was nothing, nothing really just, there was nothing where, you know, like, hey, we, we just narrowly escaped being in jail. But, I mean, Rick knows how to, he knows how to live, man. You know, everything. Yeah. So, I mean, he's. We'll go to an easier one from trade then. Craziest Robo story. Robo, sorry. Robo, unique guy, you know, and one of uh, one of my biggest influences, riding bikes. Um, the, I think maybe one of the best ones is showing up at a set of trails, and everybody put all the weight of the world on Robbie back oh, yeah. then. He was the trail boss, you know, and he had to live up to that everywhere that he went, you know. So you show up. He tags a landing by two inches, and everyone's like, oh, Robbie, oh, trail boss, trail Uh, boss. Pressure. Yeah, Yeah. the pressure was unreal. But the thing that they would always forget was, well, Robbie's a fucking man. Right. You know? Like, Robbie was doing it a long time. Yeah. And these little fucking punks would have to say something like, oh, yeah, who the trail boss now? Like, he he might, like, pull off the path one time. Right. Oh, a little out of control, you know? Right. and, And talking shit, but... You know, some kids would, would say something to him. Yeah. I watched him just grab this kid by by his face and throw him over this hillside, you know, and tell him, you know, in one of those, like, probably the same Rob line he used all the time. It's like, hey, kid, this is real life. This yeah. ain't no fucking TV show. Don't come around here running your mouth unless you're going to fucking back it up, you know. But, but I mean, so he, he just whips the kid over the hillside, and he said yeah. something like, you know who the fuck I am? Who you're fucking with? You know, and I mean, that was, uh, to me, that was like, yeah, hey, don't right. let those little kids talk right. shit. Right. You know, don't forget, I mean, you have a man here, right. you know, and right. you're this little snot-nosed brat that shows right. up on your clapped-out fucking homes, yeah. and you want to run your mouth, yeah. you know, to this guy, you know, about he tagged the landing by two inches. Get the fuck out of here. Oh, yeah, it was... uh <laughs> was one of his favorite words for him. All right, another Trey Jones question. Best table in BMX. Um, Brian Foster, Justin Inman, um, Vic Murphy. Those are some of those the are, best tables. And, those are solid. Yeah, tables and uh, and inverts. You know, I mean they're 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 different though. So they are. They are. But table tabletops. Yeah, for me, those those three guys are. Uh, from Larry Edgar. Yeah. Does a good tabletop. Right. Right. Um, they had good good lines. Why is Drew Jenkins the best ever? <laughs> a better question. Why wouldn't he be? Right. Because in '95, you know, he was landing in a, in a manual. You know, finger on the trigger, land in a manual, bump jump the next thing at at, at Drexel Brook, midair, do a backwards crank in, in the air. You know, oh, because yeah. he was smooth before there was smooth. Like, yeah, he was smooth. While we were all still like buying stock in headset cups, yeah. you know, right. that's why. 
You know, like he was he was ahead of his time. Not yeah. I mean, great guy. Drexelbrook was a awesome place. Glad I got to ride there. Oh, me too. Drexel um, was awesome. But yeah, I mean, like he was he was that smooth guy at the trails before there was that smooth guy yeah. at, at the trails that yeah. that didn't take his riding. Um, somewhere that it, it, it didn't need to go. Right. You know, like he wasn't going to show up at a at the national and, and hit the jumping contest jump a couple of times. Right. No. Right. Drew stayed in his lane. And he was and he was the best at it. Yeah. And when I when I watched him ride, I was just like, damn, this dude is so smooth. Mm-hmm. You know. And yeah. That's why he's the best. All right. I like that answer. Half of it. Yeah. Uh, from Jerry Bagley. Why didn't you leave Standard when everyone else did? I think that I had a very, and, and still do, have a very unique relationship with, with Rick. Where, like, Rick wasn't, Rick was my, my bike sponsor, but Rick was also my very good friend, um, still is. He was more of, you know, to a, to a certain extent, like a big brother, you know, to me. And, um, like, Standard Bikes, that was... That's who. That's who I am. Yeah. You know, like everything right. that they stood for back then. That that was me. Right. You know, a lot of similarities between Rick and I, personality-wise, mm-hmm. on different things. But like one, I'm not going to ride a fucking bike that has a surfboard for a down tube either. Like I don't believe in that. Like right. if your bike looks like an erector set, like, right? No, I'm, I'm not riding it. And that was right. at the time where you know all of this big corporate money was was coming in. Right. And when riding bikes became a job to me, right. I didn't like it right. anymore. You know, because it's not why I ever did it. I never wanted to do it because that was how I was going to make some money doing it. Right. You know, I just wanted to do it because it was what I loved doing. Yeah. And I loved riding for standard. That was that was it. And right. at, at one point in uh, in Iowa, I had moved out there for a while and was working at the standard i would answer all the kids uh mail if you sent a letter to standard in like the summer of 1997 or the fall chances are i answered it i would i would write you a personal letter back okay. you know and throw stickers in and stuff but right that was it was more of a lifestyle for me right. than than it was um a sponsorship right and i signed a contract in blood like as a joke i ripped a scab off at one point uh they're at standard and right. Rick hung it up on the wall, but it was signed in uh yeah. signed in blood that I would always ride for, yeah. for standard. But that was like I said, that's it sounds that like you I guys am. had a different connection than the rest of the guys did. Yeah, we have a good good relationship. There was a time where we didn't talk for years and years, but I didn't talk to anybody for right. years and years. Sure. So but when you know, got on the phone, it's like you don't skip a beat. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, you just gotta kill time. I love I love watching uh, Ricky ride because he could turn anything in, into a spot. Oh my gosh, you're not kidding! Like I don't I don't have that ability. Right. I never I don't right. jib. Right. Right. Get that right, right. now. Listen, one I don't fucking right. one eighty. Right. I don't jib. I don't ride backwards. Right. You know, like I ride a bicycle, not a fucking forklift. Right. All right. Steering wheels in the front. I go forwards. All right. Bought that for any jump. <laughs> but. So uh, look at look at the people that have been hurt, to, and they don't have health insurance. Right. You know, and BMX are not really 
bike riders aren't really forward-thinking guys, and, and like they're not worried about that. But right. when it happens, you know, I mean, these guys are doing what they love. Yeah. You know, but it's also what I love, and I right. wish I could still be doing it. So if you know something happens to to them, right? You know, and and you can do your part for to help them raise money for it or whatever it takes. Right. You, you just try to. I think it's human nature. Right. But right. it's also uh, as my not wife, everyone's, but I'm I'm. I'm glad, you know, you feel that way. I appreciate it. That's my, for sure. Uh, my wife pointed out to me that I'm much more giving in, of, of, like, of my time, my energy, and just in general to the guys that I know for riding bikes or to anything related to riding bikes that I am to anything else. Right. You know, and, and you know, she's told that to me, and I, I thought about it for a couple minutes, and I thought, yeah, right. I mean, that's... You are right. That's a bond, you know, that is never broken. Like you're in that group of guys. That that's that's what you do. That's what runs through your blood right. all the time. You right. know, so to help them, sure. But yeah. when I see, you know, you see other people out there. I'm, I'm, I hate to say it, but I'm not always that way sure. with other people. But right. You know, as far as guys that getting hurt or coming up with you end up getting cancer or right. you're you're a kid that has cancer right. or something right it's only human nature i think to do your best to to try to help a, l- a little bit right so yeah i love it and i appreciate you being a partner in it with me with a few things we've done so and i it, and it is in my blood i bikes often enough that you ride it twice and not have to put air in the tires right so every time i would go to my bike Put air in the tires. I would take that valve stem cap off, right? And I'd think of Colin Winkleman, right? You know, so I'd take it off, think of him, put it back on. You know, you're sitting there at, the, at, at a, some jumps or trails or riding, and you're sitting on your crossbar with your arms crossed and your handlebars, and you look down, and there's that valve stem cap. Yeah. But I was so worried about losing it for yeah. so long. It was such a stress. It, it sounds that stupid. But I always like made sure that I had it. Yeah. You know, Colin was a great, great person, and uh, knowing that like I can't lose this. Right. You know, this was the thing with Colin Winkleman's cap. Right. You know, so. Right. What ends up happening is I, I wasn't riding for a while. I gave my bicycle to my cousin who was riding. Uh huh. And he rode it for a year or two and then stuck it in his garage. Yeah. And he gave it back to me a couple years ago, exactly yeah. the way I gave it to him with the valve stem cap on it and everything. I think there were different pedals on the bike. Yeah. But he, I mean, he gave it back to me exactly how I gave it to him. Yeah. And so I took the valve stem cap off. I was so, like, relieved that I had it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I got this back. And this was something that I always uh, keep. Meant more than almost the whole bike? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because yeah. I kept the valve stem cap and I got rid of the bike. Right. I gave it, I traded it for a, uh, <laughs> my complete STA for, uh, a Matt Cordova seat yeah. and uh, two tires. Oh, man. You know, so wow. Uh, it didn't mean anything to me, but the guy wanted right. it. Sure. Right. So right. what ends up happening is I take it off, and then I'm, you know, I'm starting to ride a little bit more, but every time I'm putting air in the tires and I'm thinking about it, I set the valve step cap down somewhere, you know, as I'm putting air in, I'm thinking, oh, shit, I can't lose this cap. Right. So, you know, I see um, I see the boys riding the the thinking to myself man like riding looks fun 
right. you know for a long time it wasn't fun right you know and I I watched Chase Hawk yeah. riding this bike and thought man fuck I miss riding my bike right you know and then it right that's what pulled me uh, back into it and then seeing a couple of the um, how much fun everybody had at the John Lee Jam yeah and thinking like yeah. oh those are my, these are the guys that that uh, yeah. that I'm friends with that I would love to see again. Yeah. So that was a big, um, a big played a big role in me. Right. Uh, getting back on my bike as limited as, as it's been, but at least um, you know I'm having fun. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's a reunion so, of sorts every year. It's it's awesome. Yeah. It's turned it's into and this will be the fourth year fourth year in a row and it's just been. It's phenomenal to see the, the Long Island guys. Yeah. Because the Long Island guys yeah. were all. We all, that was like the young racer crew. Right. And you want to talk about some shit talking. Get the 15 and 16X group together from like Long Island and Pittsburgh. I'm going and like to. some Florida guys. And you, I mean, that was, that was it. So much shit talking going on. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I saw those guys. And, uh, you know, like I said, all at the John Lee Jam. I thought yeah. I would love to go back and see those guys. Yeah, yeah. So, thank you as much as. Uh, hey, no problem. No problem. Great. Excellent. Thank you, Isaac. Yep, Joe. Appreciate it. Sure. What an awesome venue to do this at. It's like a BMX reunion slash kind of redneck barbecue. It's going to be <laughs> unbelievable. There's no doubt. I think we're facing the mutter pit. Yeah, literally. We're facing a mutter pit in, in one side for whatever, monster truck, something or others. And then behind us, we get this whole jump line set up yeah. that Trey Jones built up. And it's cool if you, if you pull out of the jumps, you fall into a pool of water. <laughs> and I think I seen Trey P in it earlier, so I world championship race. And I was uh, like 11 novice at the time. Wow. And um, What were you doing out there? Exactly. So the funniest <laughs> thing is, my parents weren't into BMX right out of the gate. Yeah. But when I had went to a local, the local track Belmore on Long Island and come home with a trophy the same day, I went with my friend, um, came home with the trophy. My dad was like, wait a minute, you, you left this morning and you came back with a trophy? He's like, We're, since that moment, that was like the light bulb. He was all in after that. Yeah. So a year later, we're in Las Vegas at the World Championship, <laughs> and I've been racing for like 11 months. It was insane. So I, I, I made the main there. We went with another family from New York. <clears throat> and to give you an idea of how competitive things were back in those days, yeah. Since I made the main and, won, and got the trophy, and the kid that and their parents that we went with didn't, they walked back to the hotel on the other side of the street. <laughs> That's how, you know. So BMX racing was super cutthroat for me since the early, you know, yeah. very competitive. The tri-state area was, you know, when you when you went to the end of Long Island to to, to Shoreham, that was a heavy NBL track. When you went to Connecticut, it was heavy NBL. All really good riders that could jump as well so it was like you had to figure it out pretty quick and I probably went three years of like just straight getting my ass kicked before it started to finally come around you know and then obviously you know some years I was good some years I was you know I had shitty years whatever but I always loved it and and uh the difference for me was I just always wanted to ride the trails that were in the the city of where the the national was or the local track or whatever or you know just basically get to the next session that was the whole goal i wasn't so much a competitive racer i was more kind of just wanted to have fun riding my bike and 
my only way I could do that with my parents' support was to race, you know, and that was, that was tough, you know, because I probably wanted to freestyle and just ride trails uh, earlier, but I kind of was, you know, stuck at the track doing gates and stuff, but, you know, we found ways to make it fun, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean, so. From then on, then they would tell me where we were going. Oh, we're going to Utah. I'd be like, for what? You know what I mean? But they had the race bug, and uh, I'm very thankful they did because those were really, really amazing times. You know, the I think for all of us, as much as like the, most of the guys you've done in the podcast were like, yeah, I raced, but I really didn't care. Yeah. yeah, it was it wasn't the actual racing. It was the fact that it was a community and we were doing something together, and it was fun and it was family orientated and it was really you know really just uh, based around having a good time you know obviously if you did good icing on the cake you know but I was weird I'd win Saturday and be tired and not even qualify for the main on Sunday I'd do weird shit just because yeah. it wasn't that you know I'd never held myself to that you know kind of buckle down standard you know even even in not until later on you know but early on I just I just kept wanting to ride you know and jump stuff so yes you, know. you weren't doing sprints at home exactly. and all that yeah, stuff yeah know. right right you know. really working at that totally yeah. And then I was lucky enough to to meet like Superfly and stuff and they, you know, yeah, granted I was at the trails when I met those guys. I don't know. I just knew there were jumps there and I didn't know who built them either. And then Superfly was quick to figure it out. Like, oh, well we can just build them. Don't quit looking for them. We'll just build our own, you know. And then that I was lucky enough to have him doing that, you know, so we had a place to ride from early on, you know. Which place was that? Was that Port or even before that, man? Oh, there was, wait, wait, yeah. you know, there was. Uh, he built jumps at Methodist Church in Seacliff, and then also um, this other circle track in Glen Cove. That, I mean, we rode there every day for a summer or two. Then, you know, he kind of transferred onto Port and Kiko, and you know, he's he's amazing because he still does it to this day. You know. Yeah. You know. So so is. the dynamic was weird for me because I had, I had already started traveling with racing. So it, it was tough. Sometimes I'd leave town and come back. That would make dudes feel some type of way or whatever. But I was, I was already off and running, you know, 14, you know, 12, 13, 14. We were driving in New Jersey, racing two times in one day and just being really dedicated to it. Still getting my ass kicked, but getting better. Right. And then right around, you know, 15 or 16, it started to click. And then, you know, you, you, you're, you're expert at that point. You're going to nationals. You're, you know... Every now and then you win one and you're, you're excited and it keeps you going until the next one and stuff like that. You well, know? just back then, I just think yeah. making mains was yeah. a big deal. I mean, totally. even, even if you didn't win, yeah. if you're in the lineup in the you know with the guys you were against, it was it was no joke. You know? Yeah, totally. That, that That's what, like, I want to stress how competitive it really was. And I just was kind of lost because I didn't have that real competitiveness in me. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I saw dudes that did and I kind of aspired to be like them but at the end of the day I just wanted to ride right know? so you had to find it for those yeah, weekends totally you had to turn it on right right, right. I care dad yeah, I care I really do dig right. deep you're like fuck it's not there <laughs> well turned into I forget if it was 17 and over at the time mm -hmm. you turned 17 or if it, if it by then it turned to 18 and over but by then you were still making some serious mains before you um I think I think the one thing I had on my side was that, it, you know, obviously the jumping part of it. So even on the gate, I would know I wasn't going to win to the first turn. No way. I didn't have the, the horsepower. But, you know, there was a rhythm section or kind of a hard jump or shit. I'd, 
cut the track, or I'd do all sorts of weird shit, you know, to get in there. Yeah, and I right. agree, you know. Um, I saw Wildman, you know, Todd Lyons just posted one where Zalewski took him out in the first half. Uh, that it was Florida, right? Yeah, and then yeah. And then I cut the track in the last turn and took Zalewski oh, out. <laughs> you know that was so, yeah. Oh, that all came from the podcast him and I did. Yeah. It was so funny and and uh, because he had done it in the first turn. Or so, I yeah. don't know. And then I and did he, it in the last turn. Yeah, and he was like, "We're even. We're all good." Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's how it used to be. I remember one time, Waterford Oaks. I I crashed Todd. You know, Todd was always better than me, but I could I could get near him and push him over a berm or something. I'm talking lions. Right? Yeah, yeah. Tired to TL. Yeah. Yep. And. uh so I take him out in the last turn. I go on to win the race, and I'm waiting at the finish line. And then he gets up and backflips the last jump, you know. <laughs> and his dad comes down hot. Dad oh, comes down, you know, man. the short shorts on, hit yeah, pack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, fucking tank top, just <laughs> fucking right in my face. And he said, listen, Morales, air for show, ground for go. <laughs> I have no idea to this day what that meant, but they were hot, man. And, uh... He was basically saying that TL still won. Even though he lost. Somehow he still won. Even <laughs> exactly, and uh, even to this day, he's that guy in my life because yeah. he's done really well with the the wheelie bikes and yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. And I'll right. have distributors that'll be like, "Colt's doing well, and we like it." Right. But what Todd Lyons done has reinvented BMX. You know, so this fucking guy is still a thorn in my side. But we're going on like 40 years. It's insane. You know, that 30 years later. Oh my God. Yeah. That's too funny. Yeah. yeah you got, got to give him credit. He's, always, that's, he's the, always found a way. That's my thing, man. Never hate on a wild man. He was always yeah. good to me. He, he, I was his wingman when we would hook up with, you know, if he hooked up with a chick, he'd always have right, the, right. the busted friend for me to hook up with. <laughs> he, he was that guy, you know? The busted friend. Right? He'd be like, hey, I need help. Uh, like, All right, man, what are we doing? Yeah. You know? Somewhat. Like, I've got a video of you and I racing 18 over at Ben Salem. Yeah. Expert. This is just before you turned, I'm sure, mm -hmm. before you turned pro, but it's it was a beat ass track. I mean, it was, yeah. we were racing. That track was so busted. Oh, yeah. We were racing yeah. like Pritchard and all these people. And yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. It was Pritchard. It was Larry Mirsch. Yeah. Um, I forget who else. He was on White Bear then. Yeah. But anyway, I, I think BF was yeah. in oh, yeah. there. Yeah, because totally. he hadn't turned yet. Yep. And in that, I swear, I watched the whole thing because I remember getting taken out by Mighty Mo in the mm -hmm. semi. And of course you did. Still pissed to this day. Yep. But that's oh, yeah. all good. Only because his glasses were thicker than mine. <laughs> that pissed me off. <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it, we were in the same moto, and I just watched this back, and I'm like, Robbie is just weaving through the pack. <laughs> and, and you remember that big yeah. wall of a totally jump before the jump. second turn? Yeah. So many people ate shit. They would just go, yeah. people that couldn't do it would just go head, you know, yeah. ass over TKL. Old turn. Wow, I'm old. That was I a like really that old turn. I like that one. But I saw people do it in pro too. Yeah. I think Choo Choo did it. He would just yeah. flip through. And right early over race days, thing. I had met Enos Colombo. Yeah, yeah. That was like one of my other early, early friends. And, uh, and Brooks Manbeck and and Hollywood and these these this crew yeah and so they were um, Enos was from Garden City which was another town on Long Island and then um, so he had a whole bunch of shit to ride by him which was cool that we'd explore and then the Brooklyn guys had trails too so that was a whole another thing so at some point the bike just became a vehicle to get out of our town you know we wanted to go ride different stuff different places. You know, and that's what was really cool. So we would say, oh, we're going to a race here. And, you know, we'd come up to Connecticut, ride your backyard or, yeah, you sure. know, stuff like that. And those were the, those were the best times because you were getting a, 
we were getting to ride trails and get a session in and mm -hmm. enjoy that. And then, yeah, if you if you went and you ran, sometimes we didn't even race, but we'd go to the race, you know? Right, right. Or we'd miss a moto because we are getting a cheeseburger or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've done right. that, but me and Mulligan overslept one time. Oh, God. Yeah. That's that's good stuff. But yeah. So, basically, you, you excelled through, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but I can't understate or I can't overstate enough, I should say overstate for sure, how amazing it was when I watched you at the Indoor NBL Grands oh, win yeah. Superclass. Oh, thank you. And that was, I don't I don't think people, the kids now definitely would even understand what you had to go through just to get even to yeah, the main. Totally. And I think you passed for the win. Yeah, and I think, I think what's weird is there's certain moments when you're racing and you know you put in the hours on the bike you feel good jumping you feel one with the bike as corny as that sounds True. so then you're on the gate and you're like holy shit like this i could fucking i can win this like right because i wasn't the most confident guy either you know i've always been kind of just didn't didn't have that type of sure. ultra confidence so right. but every now and then shit would line up and you'd be like oh it's happening yeah. before it even happened yeah. so that one you're talking about is really weird because I was listening to like Smashing Pumpkins, which is like melodramatic, you right, know, right. And I'm like all emotional and shit. Right, and then, right. then I'm on the gate and I'm like, what am I like down about? I'm gonna fucking win this, you know? And then you go and you do and you're like, holy shit, like I, it is there, you know? But I think the the consistency was never there with me. So it would be really defeating <laughs> when the next weekend it wouldn't be there. You'd be like, what the hell is going on? I didn't or, even make my semi. Right, or even my parents would be like, you're insane. How did you, 20 hours ago you won. Now you don't even make right. it out of the motos. I'm like, I'm tired or whatever it was, you know? So yeah, it was a roller coaster since day one. Yeah. And I was lucky to have a peer group of friends, honestly, right. that were supportive mm -hmm. and, and had my back in good or bad. I remember... I remember, you know, fast forward into Double A Pro. Right. I was in lane two in Evansville, Indiana, the first main. Gary Ellis is in lane one. He's late to getting to the gate. All my friends from Long Island, Tom Bavona, Tara, Irochi, they're all on the first straightaway, and they're fucking heckling the shit out of Gary Ellis. They're heckling Gary Ellis, right. and the number one of number ones. Right. Sorry, Danny Boy. And da Danny Boy's there. They're all there. Danny Boy probably wasn't heckling. No, no. Up. Danny was He was cheering no for way. Gary. Yeah. Exactly. So, right. so Gary, Gary, right. I shit you not, rolls in the gate and goes, those are your buddies? I'm like, this is, a, we're on the gate for the first AA Pro main. I'm pretty happy because right. I, I didn't make a lot of those, so right. this was a big deal. Oh, sure. And uh, he's like, I'm like, yeah, those are my, they're with me, you know? And, uh, no denying. I shit you not, that gate dropped. He was in my lane before I even moved. I almost high sided over his rear wheel. And then later in the day. You didn't yell over, thanks guys, yeah, yeah. your friends. And then I told him, I said, shut the fuck up when I'm on the gate. Some Gary Ellis tried to kill me. And then later that day, I go to the rent a car and Gary Ellis is having a beer with my dad before the third main. I said, what the, what the hell is going on here? You know, so yeah, that one was weird. A lot of those guys, they low key, would, you know, right, right. They, you know, my dad would say, "Don't dehydrate," and they'd say, "Oh, Mr. Morales got a cooler full of." They always knew he had a cooler, cooler full of beer, you know. So, oh, your yeah. dad was the best. Oh, he's classic, huh? Oh, he was absolutely the best. I, I love he'd wear socks one day and get sunburned, yeah, and then not wear them the next day and have the, the tan line. My mom would get so pissed. Two tone tan line. Two tone. Yeah, she'd be like, "Bob, what are you doing?" 
Yeah, rest his soul. He's a good dude, man. He took me to so many races and like yeah. he was so into it. And he was never never put any pressure. Just just wanted to go and have a good time. And that that's right. why I think BMX is so so awesome. I, I hate that it's gotten so competitive and yeah. and kind of Olympic. I, I loved it when it was just kind of like, hey, let's go have a good time with the crew and right. You know what I mean? And enjoy right. it and, and and love. I just don't. I I don't feel we as a community have given you enough credit for how good you were and it's weird because if you think about it even i caught the tail end of you know so what are you pro for you know well i made it to the highest level of racing okay i one year i made a few mains right. when i when i stayed with john person he made me do sprints <laughs> at 3 a.m you know um I but beyond know this that part of the story yeah but beyond that like <laughs> then you're at a dirt jump comp what, what are you going to enter I mean, I guess I'll enter pro because I can get over the jumps and I'm, I'm fine with that, but I don't, I didn't really necessarily want to be a pro, you know, and then at one point I'm in the X games, you know, I didn't want to be in the X games, you know, Dave Mira didn't want to ride dirt. He gave me a slot. I go in, I over jump the first set and break my collarbone on national TV, you know, like that, I, the non-competitiveness carried over into that Yeah. and it sucked because those were key times where, you know. I would get magazine photos. It was all about the magazines back then. Oh, yeah. And then you'd get a magazine photo or you'd get coverage or sponsors or whatever. And people, you know, they would question it. Oh, why is this guy good? He only does five tricks. Or, But that was my goal. I, know yeah. I only wanted to do five tricks. And I wanted to do them really good. And I wanted to do them everywhere. And that's where I think... You know, to touch on the trail boss thing quick. You know, I think that's where oh, that Oh, don't worry. We'll get, it. we'll get into all right, that. cool. Well, who... All right, well... Yeah. All right, so... so trails obviously yeah. always important was really the reason you were doing it was to ride trails so you were extremely good at trails you know smooth as hell just just talented just talented on a bike in general but trails absolutely great so where did where did trail boss come from it was given to you yeah. it wasn't self-named obviously so, regardless of what Moliterno says Tuesday night Shoreham BMX, kid named Mark Spiegel, has a Trail Boss sticker. I believe it was his uh, truck suspension company. And he handed me the sticker and goes, here you go, boss. Like, kind of just kidding around. I put the sticker on my bike, and then it kind of kind of went from there. Was I telling people I was the Trail Boss? No, but did that become my nickname? Yeah. Did I, and I thought it was pretty cool. I love what Chuck, you know, Ground Chuck said in his in, in, in podcast. It was, it was tough for me then because then everywhere I went, I had to ride these trails first try, you know, blindly and get through them but i enjoyed that too it was kind because, of fun because yeah. there's this expectation there. exactly because you got nicknamed something that yeah. you were given and it was unwanted and it, and it was kind of post-racing you know competitively sure so like like round truck was saying i was already kind of a man you know so yeah, yeah if some yeah. kid did pop off i did fucking check him you know and and you know well, one, you know, one I liked, the kid was filming with a video camera and he was, you know, talking shit and I punched the front of the camera and it poked him in the eye <laughs> and I thought that was a good one, you know, but like stuff like that would happen and, you know, so, and I would be annoyed by it because the whole reason I wanted to ride trails was to get away from the competitiveness. I didn't want to bring that with me. I was done with it. Right. You know what I mean? But, you know, when you go down to Posh, Drexelbrook and Nam and those best trails in the world you know that shit didn't exist they you just right. wanted to like have a good time and and get through and yeah if you crashed you'd get some shit or you cased or whatever but right by and large those were those were epic sessions full of amazing riders 
that were dedicated and I was just lucky to you know be able to ride a lot of those spots because I wasn't a big digger like like Ground Chuck said you know my my quote was you don't see Tony Hawk building the vert ramp so that that uh that would get me in a lot of trouble Tara's probably still pissed to this day you know what I mean they're, they're, I never did I moved dirt or scraped the pit which they hated right so right. You, I'd scrape the pit so you could ride that day Tara right. would be like that is not how you do it right. you know what I mean get that shiny glean of mud off so you could hit <laughs> so it so I could get through it right yeah. maybe spray a little dry dirt on top oh, I didn't even know how to do that so he'd be super pissed you know and uh yeah so so you know I'm just thankful those dudes were, and that's why I love you know. doing these because we we all can laugh about it yeah. now and learn something from it and you know we all developed into yeah. you know grown men with responsibilities and well that was know. the thing too I was I was a little hesitant to do it the podcast because I feel like I don't know Quincy Jones just did one in um uh, Oh yeah, he aired out a lot of things like you know sure. Stevie Wonder's not blind, <laughs> you know just because he's that in the music industry and in with those people. Sure, that's my fear. Is I that's I a know old statement, right? Man. Like I know a lot yeah. of weird shit about a lot of weird people. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. I got to be like right. But I do want to I do want to talk about you know, like kind of clinics instead of being at the X Games. So yeah, I mean it wasn't always a fucking rose garden. There were really really traumatic things would happen, but I that's it wasn't going to stop me. You right. know, I just knew. Right. Well, when my collarbone heals, I'm going to go back to riding bikes and right. maybe I'll ride a standard or whatever and I'm just going to have fun and I'm not going to deal with all this stupid bullshit. I didn't like right. the X Games. I didn't I didn't like having to do 32 nationals a year. That burned me out too, okay. you know what I mean? And yeah. but guys like Robbie Miranda were built for it. He was eating whole lemons and shit. It was <laughs> bizarre, man. I've never And even when I stayed with John Purse, that dude was a maniac. He was training. Yeah. He was it was insane, man. Yeah. He was attaching a stabilizer bar from the hole in his fork to the bottom of his stem because he didn't want to get head shake when he went through the rhythm section. Yeah, man, I'm talking crazy. <laughs> I'm talking like, you know. Oh, my God. I'm talking 2 a.m. Hey, Robbie, oh. they're calling you fat ass right now. Let's go do sprints. And to, when try, I, to try to motivate you. Totally. I'm oh, like, man. I'm like, man, I want a bowl of cereal. What? <laughs> go do sprints at 2 a.m.? You're crazy. You can do them until you puke. Dude, and I mean... Oh you know, those, God. I've been through some wild times, you know, and I, I, I think, you know, I, you know, I think <laughs> because you have done such a, such a good job at, at kind of, um, hey, it's back to the protecting mm. yourself thing, you know, people don't hear the, the tough side, yeah. you know, and, and, and I'm sure it's mostly because, you know, you're not about to go, you know, cry a river for yeah. someone because you don't need that sympathy but I I want some of this heard because it's I want all of it heard but I want some of this heard because it's it's real and it's kind of like the whole Instagram thing everyone puts on there what oh, they yeah. want people to see or any social media yeah I'm gonna show you the best side of me totally all the time best the food best side of me everything's yeah. the the best of everything well you know what that's not life yeah that's not no, life totally. at all and I think the people that we grew up with that were kind of navigating it at the same time, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. and and then they were talented in their own right and maybe never got some of the opportunities that they deserved, sure. you know, like a Ted Nelson or he was the most talented graphic artist. I didn't even know you could be a graphic artist, you know, he's the most talented dude I ever met or, you know. Yeah. Base Brooklyn should be the should be as big as Supreme in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I really believe that in my heart, and I you know right. for whatever happened, things pan out the way sure. they pan out, and, and sure you know. But if I see Enos or Ted today, it's fucking 
really fun. Yeah. And we, 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 yeah. We chop it up and we laugh about right. the times we lived and it is the way this and that and you know and park and down just have to tell everyone with complete bike uh i don't i don't care past or present mike aiken was was hands down the best i'll never i'll never you know that'll never change yeah. you know what i mean right. um from what I've seen, obviously I didn't get to witness it yeah. during the time I was out, but what I've watched on videos is absolutely amazing. Him for dirt and Edwin for street. Yeah. You know, and then recently, in recent times, uh, Corey Walsh. I saw I saw Corey Walsh take one run in a bowl at uh, House Park in Austin, Texas. I pedaled over him immediately and said, "All right, what what's going on here?" And he said, "What do you mean, what's going on?" I said, "What? Where did this come from?" Right. And he was like, "What are you What are you trying to say?" I said. Just who the fuck are you? <laughs> and he said, "Well, I'm from Canada. Right. I'm a pro racer, and in two weeks I got to decide whether I'm going to be on the Olympic team or I'm going to ride freestyle." No way. I said, "Well, here's my fucking card. Call me when you make the decision." You know. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Aiken, Edwin, and uh, nice, fucking, perfect. You know. Uh, you probably remember Ari, Ari Sonnenberg. Um, mm-hmm. He lives. I want. He lives in Europe. I, I want to. Wow. I mean, I always mess up where he lives, but. He was in the service, and he ended up moving to Amsterdam, maybe? Wow. Something like that. Um, anyway, super nice guy. I got to know him through yeah. Instagram. Uh, he just wanted to say what a good dude you were back when you guys were racing nationals, and that when you were staying in the same hotel, uh, which, hey, people don't hear this stuff, you would take all the kids out that were racing yeah. and all go, go ride in the parking lot. How weird manual. is that? We would ride hotel parking lots. Yeah. That's how much we loved it. We'd race all day. Yep. Sometimes you wouldn't even get out of your race leathers or whatever the hell they were, <laughs> right? Your uniform. Think oh, about yeah. how crazy we looked. Oh, I wore the uniform to every set of trails. You know what's funny too, real quick? Danny oh. Bailey was the same way with the headphones. The, yeah. the yellow uh, Walkman. Remember the yellow sports Walkman? Yes. Oh, yeah. Sony sports Walkman. We had hundreds of them. Water resistant. Then they always broke, right? <laughs> yeah, right. But me and Danny, we would, we would put the headphones in and we would ride around our town, you know, full speed, you know, and then uh, recently I saw a girl that lived in the in, in that town, yeah. and she said, "Man, you were the weirdest kid ever. All you and Danny Bailey did was ride around with your headphones on like lunatics." And I was just like, Thank "Did you. we?" <laughs> and then like the parking lot thing, that's true. Yeah, Every race right. we go after the race, racing ten hours a day, right. we'd still find time to ride in the park. I don't, I don't know how we did it, man. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah, yep, that's exactly what he was talking about. So true. And then he said, uh, he also said the days of the E team exclamation point. But I'm sure you did it more than just the E team days. Mark King, a guy goes that goes under Dig Ride, Dig Ride Die 401. He's a Rhode Island guy, super nice guy. Rival was a huge inspiration to me in my life. Seeing that, well, this is gonna hit a little closer to home. Um, Rob was a huge inspiration to me in my life seeing that Rob was not the smallest of the guys on the pro gate and me being of similar size at that time bottom line is that he gave the thicker guys hope and inspired me to be the rider that I am today gave me the confidence to get number one Rhode Island and 15 expert so uh, there you go man I mean and 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 that shit is real because the guys I looked up to were bigger dudes the the Marty Tripes, the pro motocrosser dude. He was a bigger dude. He had plumber's crack hanging out while he's ripping a 500cc motocross bike. Yeah. I like that. I, I always liked bigger dudes. Right. My dad was a bigger guy. I don't know. That's just how I've always been. God, your dad you know? was tall. Thanks. <laughs> he know, was the, really tall, wasn't he? Yeah. Then, like, that's the thing. You know, yeah. you just... you you. I would... 
I would I would relate to that dude as much as he related to me. So mm-hmm. and that that happens to this day, and I, I do like that. I don't think that's what's cool about BMX, man. There should be no discrimination, you know. No. And then if you make it look good, you make it look good, man. Dude, there's just there's a bigger dude in uh, Connecticut. I think his Instagram's Jorge K or something, but he's fucking stylish. Oh, so you can fuck. I, yeah, I, Connecticut. I do follow him. Yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. rips. Yep. And he's a yep. bigger dude. And I'm sure people yep. are like, wow, you rip for a bigger guy. No, fuck that. He just rips, period. Yep. It's like yep. trying to say, girl, oh, you're good for a girl. What's that mean, dude? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? We just we just put Angie Marino and Paris Benicas on the on, on cult. And oh, yeah? They, they rip, period. Yep. Not for a chick. Right. They they both walked into the gnarliest skate park in San Diego with the gnarliest fucking ratty teeth missing skaters yeah. and just got amongst that session. And right. the dudes were like, yeah, yeah, they, they're cool. Let, yeah. let them ride the whole session. Right. You know what I mean? And that, that'd be that'd be hard for me to do. Right. You know? Right. So, right. so, yeah, man, fuck any stereotypes or shit like that, uh, you know? Thank, thanks for yeah. saying that, man, because it isn't, it isn't that the truth? And totally. I'm glad, and that's what's rad about BMX. You can be a misfit. We are misfits, you know? We're not We're not particularly artistic or, you know, right. well-versed. In the, we're kind of fucking on a machine, and we're trying to fucking get the thing to go, you know? It's, there's yeah. a lot to it. You know what? I, I said something to Stu Johnson. I said mm. something... Something along the lines of, hey, you know, I'm interviewing some guys. It was about, I forget in, in, what it was in reference to, but it was like, hey, I don't want to step on anyone's toes that does this for real because I, I'm just doing it as a hobby, this podcast thing. And he goes, he goes, dude, keep doing what you're doing. Totally. I love it. This is, BMX yeah. is DIY all the way exactly. through. He's like, you keep doing your thing. Yeah. And I think that's why you've been so well received because you were DIY the whole time you rode. You were doing one foot x-ups and races to having your own trails to putting on races and now you're back with side hacks and everything in between it's like <laughs> you just get it done and i think people yeah. people can respect that you know yeah yeah well i appreciate that yeah. and i just yeah it's just you and i on the same page on that one totally. along with this guy mark yeah for what sure. else we got so rad to see um all right Susie levan wow here we go yeah what was really going on in the secret Auburn bathroom meeting at my house during the grants? <laughs> oh my God, Susie is amazing. Okay, so let's let's just preface this with Susie may be one of the coolest chicks, you know. No doubt. Right? No that, doubt. The shit she put up with. I interviewed we her too. Stay She's at her house so with Jimmy. Jimmy would invite all these dirty BMXs to yep. her house. Yeah. We would all stay there. I, nothing homosexual was going on, Susie, if that's what you're going No, no, towards. secret meeting. She yeah. just said secret meeting. I don't know. I don't know what well, was Well, it must on. have been Biggie yeah. and Todd, right? I must TC, have done something Todd stupid, Corbett. and they were trying to tell me not to do it again. Okay. Yeah. That's probably the reason. So we'll leave it at that. All right. Yeah. So, all right. There wasn't any, like, um, plotting against no. other teams that were staying there? That, maybe. <laughs> God, it was so competitive back then. Yes, maybe there was. Because yeah. that would have been Todd Corbett, you, yeah. uh, Eric Bertoldis, yeah, and totally. that was it, right? Yeah, Just probably at that time. Yeah, we were on tour. Right. But shout out to Jimmy for always straight up being so hospitable, and Jimmy's mom and Susie. Yeah. They were the raddest BMX family. Right. You always felt like you were family with them. They let you come stay at their house. We'd ride the trails. We'd ride the Louisville track. I mean, shit. And, yeah. and, and I'm so excited for Jimmy's documentary to come out. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I really feel like he's another guy who who deserves a shitload because he did a lot for the sport as well. Right, right. You know? Yeah, I mean, he definitely risked it because yeah. he loved it. You know, totally. 
and anyway yeah and and you know what's what's ironic is is Susie's just like her her mom yeah. you know opens the door Dude. I've stayed there a couple times just doing different I was different such a knucklehead during those days and she was so cool to me I, I was just an idiot and she was just like <laughs> just put up with me being a dumbass oh man well uh, she'll she'll love that <laughs> she'll definitely love you this truth, though. <laughs> god all right down you know style together and stuff way back in the day um uh, Murphy Murphy uh, Machete he's a, a Pittsburgh guy if you were to pass down the title trail boss who would you give it to oh Chuck you know I mean I, I went over the left hip on the push eight pack did a one foot table landed at the bottom looked up Chuck laid down the baddest ass seat grab one foot table right behind me and at that moment I knew like fuck this is the dude and uh-huh. and, and and I had two roads to go right I could have cock-blocked him and held him down and made his life miserable. But instead, I said, you know what, buddy? Put you on standard and the fucking rest is history, you know? But, well, yeah, he- I, I feel I feel like Chuck was, Chuck was the epitome of, you know, being a trail boss. He fucking rode so awesome. Yeah. And he tweaked it just a little bit more. And yeah. was a little more stylish than yeah. everyone else, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think that was interesting times, you know. You, you, you. you uh, Kaminsky was asking Superfly about it, like, "Hey, did it make it competitive, or were there these weird, yeah, time?" And yeah, of course, it, right. it, everyone was trying to get there, so it created that kind of environment. But when you knew something was really good, right, you couldn't fight it. Right. I was like, Chuck, right. you're the fucking guy. You know, yeah. and if whatever happened after that, whatever happened. But right. that dude. And and then, you know, there's a few moments. You know, when I was in the backyard of Fuzzy's house and I saw a 15-year-old kid in a, in a sun-kissed orange T-shirt just tearing shit up. I yeah. knew from that moment on. I even say it in the video. I'm like, oh, that kid's special. He's got something. And that was Mike Aiken, you know. So, really? yeah, okay. to be able to see him at 15 and then sponsor him yeah. and then... And then kind of go through the ups and downs. And he was in BMX, you know, 17 years. And I, I feel like he never got what he deserved in right, the game. Right. But there was one due tour that he won on on style alone. Mm-hmm. And I was there. And, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I cried because it was so awesome. Yeah. That There there are some highlights, obviously. You know, when he 180'd the set of doubles at X Games in Philly. When he, I don't know, when he just did what he did. You know, guys like that, they're, they're, they are legends, you know, Chuck, Mikey, you know, right. Taj and Joe, these guys, you know what I mean? They're, they're just epic, epic riders, you know, and they all made a lasting impact on the game. And, you know, for Mikey to never get what he really deserved, my heart, you know, I, I'm still not okay with it. I still don't know what to do. Yeah. You know? That's uh, a heavy one. I, I don't, uh... Again, I was out during that time, but I've talked to obviously Jeff Allen about. It. He did, I think he did a fundraiser yeah. for him. Um, but just a just a tough break for. To be to be honest, it, it, it was you know it was pre Scotty, so this yeah. is the first time. And yeah, to ha- and to have and to have your guy that does it the best, better than anybody, go down was really weird. I was at the Edney Skate Park on a Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. His wife Trista called me. Said Mikey's in Pennsylvania. He went down. Oh no, Hawk called me. Okay. Hawk called me first. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Mikey's KO'd. He hasn't woke up. We don't know what's going on. 
They put him in a tarp. They car carried him up to the truck. The truck's taking him to the hospital. I'm like, how bad is this dude? Has he just got a concussion or whatever? He's like, he hasn't woke up yet. It had probably been 15 minutes. I'm like, fuck. Jump on the red eye, get there Monday. Fucking get to the hospital. It's a hospital in Bethlehem, PA. It's not the best. Right. It's fucking rough. Right. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. Right. The family's coming into town. I'm driving back and forth, shuttling family to the thing. It's right. weird. We're getting cryptic messages. Right. There's all sorts of, you know, that's what I'm saying. It's another moment in time where I may have not handled it 100% correctly because there's so much emotion and so much pain and frustration going on. Right. And maybe a little bit of like, it was a trip for Anthem, so it wasn't a fit trip. So it was off my clock, but that was my dude. Right. Who I loved more than, you know, anybody in BMX. So right. I felt, man, I should have been there. What the fuck, you know? Yeah. Why the fuck did this happen? Who the fuck was filming? Who the fuck's problem is this? Right, right. And it was just a freak accident. But at the time, I couldn't think of it as a freak accident. This yeah. is the best dude in the world to do it. Yeah. You can't fucking tell me something didn't go on that make this happen. Right. So, right. granted, I may have ruffled some feathers, pissed some people off. It's still not... And even for Mikey, the whole time I was there, the week after, he was in a coma. So he doesn't even know that I was there. So there's mixed emotions all over the joint. Wow. So I reconnect with him at last Interbike at Norcup two, yeah. two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know what to say to the guy because I'm like, I don't fucking know, dude. You're the guy. I'll fucking give you a part of Colt. I don't give a shit. Just fucking let's figure it out. And that's kind of where almost the trail and race thing started to come back because I thought I would hit up the guys at Deluxe. We would make American-made frames. Mikey would back him and he could have his own division and brand and I could put him in business and I could do all this shit and I could help his life. And right. I don't right. know. Sometimes I think a little bit too big or something, you know, because... The reality is, is he's got his a, a job now, and right. he's an amazing father and family man. And right. Owen, his son, is fucking him incarnate. So it's like, yeah, the next Aiken is coming, you know. So it's well, like he, he rides. He does everything rides. good. Does everything. He's a really? soccer player, bike rider, skateboarder. Doesn't just really? does everything good. He's one yeah. of those. He's Mikey yeah. Spawn. It's right, insane. Right. Right. So uh, yeah, I don't mean to go on a rant, but no, I, I, I haven't feel... talked about it in public at all because it's been really. I feel bad you for know. you because it sounds like yeah. you're putting an awful lot of blame on yourself. And, and you know, at that time, yeah. it sounds like you were, you know, trying to reverse something and say, who, you know, who did this? Yeah. You know, blame it on someone because totally. because you wish you could reverse it, you know. but um, And then it was hard for Hawk, too, because he was there. Yeah. And he felt some type of way about it also. Yeah, yeah. And it was just fucking tough. It's been tough ever since. And right. I still, it's still not fucking settled with me right I, I, I don't know I don't and that's what was so interesting about Scotty yeah that it was almost like you know we had done jams for Mikey and fundraisers and shit but it was almost like when Scotty got hurt right people kind of knew how to go into action and it, and it it went a little smoother you know right I you know I remember I worked at Fox at the time I walked in and I said you motherfuckers got to pay for everything everything for this guy and Pete Fox looked at me in the eye and said for hey. Mikey yeah yeah and he said dude you slow your roll you know right. what I mean motocross dudes die and I just went huh what are you I was naive yeah, yeah. they've dealt with this shit since 1970 whatever when they started the brand and he's like listen we're gonna help they paid for his medical flight from 
from PA to Utah was like 20 grand, you know? So they stepped up. Yeah. But I was full of so much piss and vinegar. I'm banging on the table and they're going, whoa, whoa, dude, this is your first guy you've had happen this. This happens once a month with us. Some dude's paralyzed or some dude died. And I didn't, I was naive. I didn't know. And, and, you know, BMX still isn't ready for it. Luckily, Scotty's figured it out with the YouTube and being such an amazing human being. But like, we don't, I mean, when Corey Walsh fell the other day when we were filming and he broke his jaw, his nose, and his teeth. That's right. Yeah. There was a fucking yeah. moment where we were, we were like, what the fuck do we do? This is the most blood I've ever seen on, on, on a skate park bowl, yeah. you know? Right. And he's such a Canadian badass. He's calm as can be. Right. Right. I'm falling apart. You know, I take my shirt off, you know, put it on his face to so stop the bleeding. Right. Pull him out of the bowl. Ambulance comes. He goes, I ain't fucking going with them. Let's go. I jump in the van, run every stoplight to the hospital. Listen to this. It's like flashback. Man. Homeboy, oh, homeboy. Just... I, Thursday night, Palm Springs yeah. Hospital. I'm like, got to be empty, right? Who the fuck's going to be in there? It's like 50 people in the emergency room wearing SARS masks. Everybody's got the flu. There's all sorts of weird shit. Yeah. I come back out to the van. I pull right in the front. I'm like, fuck, Corey. I don't know, man. It's pretty busy in there, you know? And he's like, don't worry, man. I'm going to walk in the door. I'm going to scream at the top of my lungs, and we're getting in there. Fucking double doors slide open. He takes the fucking shirt off his face, screams top of his lungs. He's covered in blood, mind you. Looks like somebody shot him in the face. Fucking nurse runs out from the back, takes him right in the back. (laughs) Fucking what a badass, huh? What a badass. Oh, my God. His jaw hanging from his face, probably. Everyone's like, what the fuck? Right to the back. Oh, my God. So, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, in in Fox, I can kind of understand their standpoint because, yeah, I mean, there's the injuries that road to recovery. They are busy as hell, unfortunately. I had no idea. You go go to Road to Recovery's Instagram, you see a new guy every day. Yep. And it's from every action sport there is. Yep. All over the world. A lot of it is motocross, though. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of motocross. But, totally. yeah, you're, you're right. It yeah. is all. all and, and if you think about both injuries with Scotty and Mikey, they're motocross-style injuries. They were that high and that much force and that much speed. Right. To dead stop. Yep. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. No, I, unfortunately, you're right. We're all learning how to... Uh, I, mean, I had to take Mikey's brother to Posh. Yeah. To show him the jump it happened on. Yeah. That was like fucking hard. You know what yeah. I mean? And Mikey's family is amazing. He, yeah. He 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 was the golden child. You know, it's good. Brothers and sisters, they're all fucking awesome, talented in their own right. But Mikey was the one who got the fucking special gene to be able to do what he did. You know, so yeah. Those guys were like, well, you got to show me. I don't. I don't. I need to see where this happened, you know? And I was like, oh, shit, this is going to be tough. But I drove him to Posh, and we went down to the jump, and, you know. Man. Yeah, it's, that, that, that shit still that's, weighs on me heavy, you know. I, I, uh, I don't know. That's a lot of responsibility yeah. to put on yourself. It's a, I, I don't, uh, I, I wish it weren't that way for you. Mm. I really do. Uh, that's... It's just there's yeah. a lot of weight on your shoulders, and you know, hopefully, someday you can resolve that because yeah. within yourself, because that's a. Oh, I cried my eyes out when I saw him at Interbike, man. Yeah. You know, and I think right. he has such an amazing library of footage. Yeah. That's the problem. I want to do something with him, but I would need that footage. Yeah. But those people aren't going to give me that footage. 
Yeah. But I mean, it, that footage stands up today. You could put out his video part tomorrow. Kids would just think he filmed it last week. Right. You know. Right. But you're talking fit, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and, yeah, and they've got the footage. Yeah, and then the, all yeah. the brands he wrote for during that time. You know, if you were yeah. to put all that together and re-release it and re-pop it, I mean, look at these skateboarders, 50, 60 year old. Mm -hmm. They're still on the payroll. You know, I, I, right. I'm trying to preserve something like that. You know what I mean? Tony right. Alva. Right. Tony Alva. I mean, yeah, he's all right. First guy to grind a pool, whatever, you know. Okay, cool. Yeah. But the fact that he can do it when he's 60 and still get paid is fucking awesome. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or Caballero or anything. There of those you guys. go. Yeah. You know, Hasoy. Yeah. All yep. those guys. Hasoy. Props to those guys, you know. And, yeah. It is, a, it is amazing. But I think the industry took care of them. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to create an industry that did take care of its guys, but it's a little slow on and, that one. And, yeah. And you're right that, uh, it, it seems like it was a learning curve for the industry because, yeah. well... Yeah. That's right. a good point because the Scotty thing, people got it right. They, they did they they came came together. get it right, yeah. but I was going to say he also did himself right mm. because he went from <coughs> a, yeah. a, a, you know, a third of what he has now for, follow, for a yeah. following pre-accident to what he is now. So he did a lot of hustling on his own. Good point. And with the help of Big Boy, and with, I and I Alex. think, and in Mikey's situation, it was a it was a moniker he didn't he didn't want. He right. didn't want to be Helmet Boy. He didn't want to be the poster child for helmets and shit like that. He didn't yeah. he didn't he he wanted to say, hey, you should wear one. I didn't. I got fucked up. You should wear one, but yeah. I think that was a lot of pressure to put on one dude. You know, I mean, yeah. shit, we were trying to start a helmet company with the guy. Yeah. You know, and he's going, dude, I don't want to be the helmet guy. I'm like, fuck. Uh, That's funny the things you do when you're when you're scrambling, huh? Man. Like, oh, you got a brain injury? Let's start a fucking helmet company. You're you're just yeah. trying to do something to keep this guy's livelihood good because right. you love him so fucking much. Right. And if right. it comes off weird, fuck, it comes off weird. I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no right answer yeah. to it, and if he doesn't want to participate in it, there's really nothing you can do. Exactly. There's nothing exactly. you can do. It, you've tried, you've tried yeah. what you can try, so it's, yeah. I, I don't know, I give you credit for trying what you can try and just dealing with it the best you can, but I hear you, it's going to be painful for a, a while, I'm sure. Totally. So let's just hope that this stuff doesn't yeah. happen again. Exactly, and, man. And it's just, you know, yeah. we come to events like this, and yeah. I just hope to God no one gets hurt. Yeah badly and and let's face it, it you know statistically it's a it's a pretty safe sport yeah you know it, it considering yeah, but look at the moto guys like you're saying oh my they, god they, they looked at me like i was retarded they're like this happens once a week i'm like what oh you know? yeah all the time all the yeah. time there's there's something happening it, it's yeah. it's scary stuff but all right what else know. you got all right lighter, lighter subject yeah all right we're, we're actually going to finish yeah, with let's uh wrap it up. we're going to finish with favorite video parts and that was more of my question because you've <laughs> yeah. been you've been in a lot of videos and um, and uh, I I can't even count them, you know. So do you I have think, a favorite uh, video part or parts? I'll do I'll do like genres, you know. Okay. I think early FBM twelve oh one lights out. You know Albert Street. That's those Stu? videos. Stu? Stu and Crandall, those guys. Yeah, those, those were some fucking. They captured what BMX was. Um, yeah. Parrick and the Etnies videos, early ones. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of emotion there. You know, Ruben's part, Taz, Joe, all the guys. Right. Um, and then I think 
shit. What else do I like? Uh, I think I think it's funny that some of the like the fit videos and stuff, you know, we were such a part of everything from song choice to you know, trick selection, you know, we just we were so involved in those and then people don't even realize that. And some of the riders don't even realize that. You know, mm. I think D Hart said like, Yeah, you know that people like that part because the song's good. It's like, yeah, well we picked the song for you, dude. Like, you know, there's a whole thing going there, you know? So yeah, videos videos in BMX have been yeah. I think they I think they're rad when they um, when they kind of you know make a statement you know obviously animal video you know makes right. a, a statement in street and you know mm -hmm. I think um, there's so you know obviously there's so many in it and it's annoying to just say like oh you know I like them all or whatever that I'm not doing that I'm not pulling that right, cop right. out move right right um, but off top you know um, you know I I like I like. Uh, not to be self-promoting, but you know, I think the first cult video we did and Talk Is Cheap were really, yeah. really kind of really in the moment of what was going on. You sure. Know? And we're we're halfway through another one right now, and I think we're we're right there because it, it culminates on what we've just been talking about, where there is going to be you know trail riding in it. There is you know it's heavy street, but there is riot, park riding and bowl riding, and you know even Dan Foley was like, hey, you know if I what about wooden park footage? And I was like, if sure. it's you and you're doing something cool, it's going in. You know yeah. what I mean? We don't have these strict rules where it's only street or, you know. Right. It, if it's BMX and it's cool, it's going in. And that's the rule of thumb. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting that project done pretty soon here. Yeah. But yeah, I think, um, you know, and then for me, not to date myself, but shit, the homeless trash videos and, you know, Oh gosh! Head first and ride on. Remember those when you yeah. first saw them? You were yeah. just like, I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. You know, you were just so excited, and it was all such a new world, and you know, and then and then you know, it 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 made you. I, I get annoyed when kids are like, "What's that song?" or "What's this?" "What's that?" Figure it the fuck out, man. I didn't know who the fuck Fugazi was till I saw Ride On or Head First. You know, figure it out. That's the beauty of BMX. It's going to turn you on. It's going to open you up and to right. new experience and new music and new vibes and right. shit that you're not privy to necessarily. Right. But then you can tap into it and then you're a part of it and then you're fucking in it. Yeah. And it's fucking awesome. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, and then, you know, you hear those first few chords of a, you know, Fugazi song and you think right. of fucking Hoffman or, you know, you think of these, oh, yeah. these moments, you know what I mean? And, and you know, I... And I, I think, you know, I'll see a kid use the song I used in Domination, the Danzig song. They'll just use it in a web edit. And I'm like, well, why the fuck would you? Oh, so they probably haven't even seen my video part. Okay. You know, so you're <laughs> right, like a right. little butthurt, but at the same right, time, right. you're like, well, at least you picked a good song. You know? <laughs> right. So you can't overthink it, right? Jesus. Oh, man, that's good yeah. stuff. Yeah. All right, so one more quick thing. A uh, little bit on the racing. Actually, team. Yeah. Just shout out to the team team members uh, right through to the BMX side. Um, just name them because yeah. uh, it, you, there's been some changes. Like you said, you just added a couple. Yeah, we, we, it's pretty hard to get on the team right now. So, so who, you know, who, the main guys that are going to be influenced the decision are, you know, Hawk, D-Hart, Dakota, Alex Kennedy, uh, Foley, Corey Walsh. You know, he just got on. Fully just got on. So the, those right. are our newest guys. Yeah. You know, um, there's a bunch of AMs that are kind of on their way up right now. 
and then we sponsor a couple overseas guys like Killian Roth in Germany and Ollie Shields in England okay. and um, a bunch of awesome fucking dudes in Colombia Andre Sachoa, Santiago Munoz guys like that that are coming up um, mm -hmm. and I like the fact that it's a global brand now you can work with distributors you can help the distributor give the rider more support in the country and then you know when the rider comes here he feels like a part of something and then um, we don't forget our OGs like Russ Barone and you know uh, Timmy Theus and guys like that that have been down since day one and you know they're not necessarily you know kind of living the pro lifestyle as much but they're still a huge part of what we do and mm -hmm. you know what I mean and I, I don't think they still I, kill it too yeah and that's the thing I think I'm the type of guy that's gonna let them come to me and say hey I'm done you know like sure. Ru Russ was like hey you know I got a lot going on you know what I mean but um, I'm still on the team right I'm like fuck yeah you know yeah. you're the my brother the guy still you know? kills it totally every I've day see him ride Kiko yeah so many times yeah and I'm stoked uh, he's coming here this weekend so yeah. yeah there's tons of good stuff going on and um, if we can get him off a surfboard yeah exactly he, he might come yeah. he might. <laughs> and then on the race side you know we got the priest racing team and then Vic and then um, you know Vic Bam and, and we're trying to develop more and we're open to working with you know kind of a shop team or something like that so mm -hmm. we might have some new stuff in the future and uh, just getting just getting after it this year you know I think 2018 is going to be a good year it's uh, yeah you know 16 was so flat that it made 17 difficult even though it was getting better right. now we're getting 18s looking better so we're like getting a little bit more um, optimistic on doing events and traveling and you know kind of pounding the pavement because it's like oh it's there it's going to be there we need to go hard you know so yeah. that's going to be this year it's going to be a lot of traveling a lot of uh and a lot of good shit coming out you know we got a cult video coming out there's a vans video coming out like a lot of a lot of really another vans collaboration shoe we got coming out later in the year so yeah ton of good stuff going on yeah geez i keep forgetting <coughs> about the vans collaboration because yeah. you've got vans tires vans totally. grips you know yeah we got, got new colors just came stuff. out with pink they actually came out nice yeah um yeah yeah, and then yeah, I can't thank Vans enough. They're 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 one brand that's really stood by Colt, and you know, for being such a big brand, the fact that they even you know throw a bone to a small brand like us. But it's a real family over there, and they understand what I'm trying to do with the brand, and they it's similar to their ethos. Sure. So a big, huge corporate company, right? But it's family. And then when we were moving, we yeah. had a yard sale that lasted about a week. And people from all over Long Island came and bought shit. Oh, yeah. It's all, so it's all around. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Everyone's got a little piece of Robbie. Oh, history. totally. I sold everything. All the uniforms, all the really? frames, everything. Wow. That, that is amazing. But that story always cracks me up where they would wait until you left and then your mom wanted to get rid of shit. So she'd yeah. start to give away. She, like, she, she wasn't a hoarder. Time, I was a hoarder. She was, uh, right. get it out of here. <laughs> It's amazing. So soups and uh Of course they would go when I was gone. <laughs> oh, I love those dudes, man. Absolutely. Good shit. Well, everyone loves you, buddy. Oh, like, thank you, man. That means a lot. All right. Cheers, thank bud. You. Thanks for the opportunity. Cheers. Thank you. Yee. Too funny, bro. Yeah.